Hello everyone, my name is Taylor. And I'm Kelly. And we are the co-hosts of Jumping Bomb Audio, the podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Every other Monday, we are with you talking about the biggest news in Joshi, along with show reviews, previews, and much, much more. So if you're new to Joshi or you've been a longtime fan, this is the show for you. We've got something for everyone here. So check us out, Jumping Bomb Audio. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. TNA is the best wrestling in the whole world. Oh, it's semantic! It's not a guitar, it's a cello! A ch- it's a cello! Yes, you can't wait, this is awesome! TNA is my world! Welcome to Planet Jarrett! You will feel the power! Period! Welcome, everybody, to You've Got to Be Kidding Me, episode number 40. On this show, we talk about a month of TNA at a time. On this episode, we're talking about September 2005 and Unbreakable 2005. I'm Gary Kidney. I'm joined by my musical friend, Liam Jones. There's nothing important that happens on this show, I'm pretty sure. Infamous show for having nothing happening. That's actually why it's yeah, famous. Like, that's, why, that's why they never ran back the pay-per-view name event until 17 years later. They're like, this show is so bad that we have to kill it. Yeah, and we can never talk about it ever again. Uh, not that it was dedicated to the unbreakable spirit of the American people on 9-11. Mm, I wonder what happened. <laughs> but <laughs> how are you doing? I'm fine. I'm ready to go into this podcast with a brand new mental attitude. Okay, you said that about the watch-along, and I don't think it turned out to be true. <laughs> all right, but they, they don't know that. Okay. All right, like six people listen to that. All right, I'm going in with a brand new mental attitude, and I still gotta catch them all. I'll be the best that you can be. No, um... Where I'm going to take this seriously. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, some people out there, they say this is just a comedy podcast, all right? They, don't, they say there's not any sort of real analytical value to it, all right? We're just yeah. making jokes about TNA, ha-has, goofs. I ain't no goofster, okay? I'm here to provide in-depth analytical analysis of pro wrestling, and that's why we're here. And that's why we're the best TNA history podcast out there, okay? And I'm not stepping up my game because anything else has happened in the meantime. I'm doing it with my own volition and to prove a point. Hey, Brian Alvarez. Fuck you. Yeah, fuck you, Brian Alvarez. (laughs) Trying to run a business Uh, Yeah, we've always been Team Phil on this podcast. (laughs) Uh, We're Team CM Punk. We beef together against Brian Alvarez. We send uh, Instagram story messages all the time. Brian Alvarez, do you know what? Touch grass. Touch grass, bro. Do you post Instagram stories? No. No, neither do I. I don't post anything. I've never posted in my life. Except when you do post. Name one. You quote tweeting Raj Giri. <laughs> only because he deletes them. Yeah, you do force him into deleting it. Well done. Yeah, so that, that, I, I'm the only one. So you're saying now, every time I throw to you asking for an opinion on, say, a three live crew television match, instead of being yeah. like, I've got nothing, oh my god, you will give me some deep, thoughtful analysis. Yep, I would do like every other wrestling podcast out there and just make up my opinion on the spot. Match of the year, best match I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like um, everything has to be the best or it's the worst of all time. So that's what I'm going to do. That is the way we work now. Yeah. There is no just 
good show. No, there's never been just a fine show. There's just an endless amount of cope about a pretty okay Brian Danielson because he sure can't have a match. You know what, Garrett, I agree. As a pro wrestling analyst, I mm-hmm. think that match was disappointing. It is fun. If, like, if, if two people who weren't Brian Danielson and Okada had that match move for move, everyone would be like, three and four stars. But it's like, let's let's throw another, like, star and a half on Also, he broke his arm, which is fair enough. But throw a star and a half on it just because it's, it's Danielson and Okada, and we expected it to be as good as it. We just pretend it is. Mm-hmm. Do it in Japan, it'll rock. It will. But no one wants to hear us talk about AEW Forbidden Door. Yeah, everyone wants to hear you talk about your Final Fantasy VIII takes. Oh, um, I, I like Squall. You're on the Squall train? Yeah, I'm a Squall guy. He's a cool little dude. The most handsome man of the party. And I can relate to that. So, me and him, we're tight, you know. Safer? Is that how you pronounce the other guy? I was always a cipher guy, but listen, it's 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 text. You can say whatever you want. That's always the thing it's with Final Fantasy. It's me. like I will say whatever the fuck I want for those words, no matter how many times they say mm. eh, chocobo. It's a chocobo. I'm not gonna say chocobo. It's a chocobo. Big school shooter vibes from that guy. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's school stabber. Thank you very much. No, he can have a gun blade. <laughs> oh no, he can be a stabber and a shooter. Yeah, he's the most dangerous. Don't come to school tomorrow, fella. For context, by the way, Liam was like, I would like to play an RPG. I'd like to be an RPG guy because I want to be a sicko. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he's like, I tried Final Fantasy VII. I hate it. Kenya Omega is the worst for liking it. I watched exactly. Final Fantasy X. It's stupid. And I was like, well. <laughs> no wonder he took that Tiger Driver on his head. He likes Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> makes sense. Is there Tigers in that game? I don't think so. There's Drivers. There's a lot of drivers. You drive a motorcycle. Mm-hmm. But I was like, what's what's the one that, like, what's the RPG that, like, matches Liam the most? And I think it is Final Fantasy VIII. I do love schools in which they train soldiers. That is one of your favorite genres of entertainment. It's one of my favorite anime aesthetics. If there were ninjas, you'd be even higher on it. But regular soldiers is pretty good, too. Okay, this... Listen, Garrett, am I playing this game wrong? I need you to tell me if I'm playing it wrong. Okay. Because all I'm doing is spamming the GPs... Or the GFs, whatever they're called, my girlfriends. All I'm doing is spamming that and spamming Cure. No, you can play it that way. Is that how you're supposed to do it? <laughs> I will warn you, there's some bosses that insta-kill your GFs while they're... they're um... But like, what, am I, what do I do other than that? My, my regular attacks do shit all. You can junction magic to your attack so that it gets stronger. Sorry? So if you... You know where you can draw spells out of enemies? Yeah. The more you have of a spell when it's junctioned to your attack the stronger the attack becomes. So, like, you can take multiple turns to build it up? No. Have you not looked in the junction menu yet? I have vaguely. I don't understand it. There's a lot of menus, okay? So, in that menu, as we're just explaining Final Fantasy VIII the <laughs> mechanics now... Let me pull out my Switch real quick. <laughs> in that menu, you will see all of your mm. stats, and some of them you can apply magic to. And the mm. way it works is that the, the spell amplifies the stat you put it next to, and the more you have of that spell, say if you have 30 fires, that adds more to your attack power than 10 fires would, or to your mm-hmm. magic power, or to your defense, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Alright. So you want to draw some spells, and then yep. you can break the game completely if you just draw, like, 99. <laughs> but, but... I'll keep that in mind for when I lose to a boss over and over again. And if you can't junction a particular thing, you can go and learn that ability from one of the GFs. Uh, why did they name the monsters your girlfriends? Because have you seen Shiva? Yeah, I have. I have seen Shiva. Let me tell you what. 
I've given Shiva to Squall, and no one, Squall will never get anyone else but Shiva. Mm. These other nerds can have the other ones, but... So that's why they're your Squall, girlfriend. Squeeva. That's what I call them. I stand them. There is a lot of fucking in this game. There's not really a lot of fucking, but there's a lot of googly eyes. Yeah. Everyone wants that Squall. And Quistus, like, loses her job for wanting to fuck Squall. Spo- spoilers. Um, it's in the first two hours. I'm not there yet. She just invited me to the back rooms. Oh, literally the moment she's like, I lost my job because I want to fuck you. Mm, but, like, we already found this new girl and there was literal fireworks behind us to show that there was fireworks in our chemistry. Yeah, that's uh, subtle storytelling. Mm-hmm. Like, the biggest thing that struck me between this game and Final Fantasy VII is how completely different it feels. Well, part of it is, like, tech and that, like... No, I mean, like, in story. Yeah, they're all different. But, like, there's, like, last one's, like, political intrigue and there's elements of, like, environmentalism and terrorism and this one's, like, you're in a school where you fight. You're a student soldier that is sent out to solve crimes or create crimes. (laughs) Yeah, so, I don't know. Is there anyone as hot as Sephiroth in this game? Hmm, I'm a Laguna guy, so I'm going to say yes. Hmm, well, I will I will determine that factor later on. Also has an even better battle theme than the normal battle theme. Better than the One-Winged Angel? I think most of the FF8 battle themes are better than One-Winged Angel. That's neither here nor there. Wow. And you've been playing Final Fantasy as well. Oh, the new one? Oh, yeah, don't get me. Yeah, King st- of Segways. Don't get me started on the new one. <laughs> What not it just Devil May Cry? You played those games. Yeah, it was, what if Devil May Cry was like a little bit slower and more annoying? Oh no, the best thing about Devil May Cry is the speed. <laughs> and with less style and less mm. like punch. And, and less Dante. Also more cutscenes and you just walk into the same rooms fighting the same enemies. That's the way all these areas are designed and it's stupid. I have heard you can fuck in it though, is that true? I haven't fucked anybody yet, he's just sad. Mm. Oh well, it's bound to come then. <laughs> I really love those sad boys. And to be fair, he is justifiably sad, but he is just sad. My favorite thing about Squall is that, like, he's so mean to everyone, but whenever I play him, I'm like, yeah, I'll help. <laughs> mm. Like, when your friend's like, hey, man, want to hang out? And he's like, no, I'd rather drink this drink. And then the woman comes up and goes, can you help me plan my party? I'm like, yeah, hell yeah. Squall is just desperate for love. Mm. That's how I'm going to play him. This is actually a dating sim. <laughs> it kind of is. Aren't all JRPGs? If you get like 30 hours in, there is an actual date. There's a date in FF7 as well. Yeah. Well, the best part wow. of the FF7 one is you can get different characters on the date. Hell yeah. Including Barrett. Hell yeah. Which just awkwardly sits there with you being like, so, what's anything, what to do? Anything going on with you? Hmm. Who's my? Who's the Final Fantasy VII best? And then they make hmm. furiously out in that gondola. And then Barrett dies instead of Aerith. <laughs> Listen, if you have not learned that Aeris dies in Final <laughs> Fantasy VII, I'm sorry. If you somehow, like, care enough about that being spoiled, but also haven't gotten around to learning that, I don't I don't mm-hmm. know how you've existed. Mm-hmm. Also, that game released in 1997, even though it's technically a spoiler for a game that will release next year. <laughs> exactly. What if people have been waiting all this time to play the remakes? They're positively going to bitch out of killing Aeris. You think they're going to make such a, a giant change? Well, like, the whole thing about the first one they did was that, oh, you, you know, we changed history now. We can change the story. They made a game about giving themselves permission to change the game instead of just changing the game. I hate it. Uh, but <laughs> I, I think they're, they're, they're going to bitch out of killing Aeris. I think they might kill someone else. Kill Tifa. <laughs> It'd be really funny if they killed Tifa. No, they kill Cloud and the new players. Barrett. Aeris for the rest of the game. That'd be fun. What were you checking? Me? Didn't you say I was going to check something there? I don't remember. 
I oh, know. I was. I was just saying. I was pondering who the the best Final Fantasy VII girl is. Uh, Red Thirteen. Mm. Tifa is a, a punch girl, which is the greatest genre of girl. So the answer is Yuffie, by the way. Yuffie. <laughs> trying to spell it phonetically. <laughs> I did. Well done. You did perfect. So this is um, Link to the Cast. Is what we're doing right now. Yeah. This is my audition tape to finally be allowed on. There's more than enough weeks I'm not on that you could just bully your way on. <laughs> just message Dave every week. Let me on the podcast, please. We do usually record at like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. your time, which might be an obstacle, but... Nah, I'll do it and I'll get up. I've done that before. Mm. I've gotten up in the wee hours to record for people. Battling time zones. Mm-hmm. You gotta do it. This is the only reason you're not a podcast superstar and you're stuck here with me because time zones. What do you mean I'm not a podcast superstar? <laughs> I'm just the anchor around your weight. Uh, weight? <laughs> around my weight. Yes. The anchor around my weight. Garrett, speaking of, fuck off these are fake games made from Japan. Let's talk about a real game. Okay. AEW Fight Forever. Well, it's not out yet. I know, but there's been enough footage to base an opinion. I have never seen a game leak as much as this has. Yep. <laughs> like, ever. This entire game is out there at this stage. How has that happened? I think they've just allowed it. <laughs> I don't think they care. It's been very good marketing for them. Though I, I'm worried yeah. about, like, too, but it's like, have, has all, like, the fun, surprising stuff been ruined when I play it? But it does mm. look real good. It looks really fun. Creation Suite looks dog shit, but everything else looks fun. They'll just put all that stuff in a battle pass and you'll, you'll have to play it. Yeah. I'm excited for it. It does look like a lot of fun. It looks like they got all, like, the small details you would want them to get right, right. Yeah. They did, like, everything that they... Like, there's a bunch of things that they were never going to compete with 2K on, and I just don't think they tried to compete with them there, and instead they went to do all the things that 2K can't dedicate time to doing. Or won't. Or won't. So they were like, listen, we know it's a PS2-looking ass game, but it's PS2-ass fun, too. Yeah. But, you know... If that's how you got to stand out and be a, a difference on the marketplace, then do it. And you can make it look good over time. That, that'll be the thing to me. Is like, in three years, does this game look marginally better? I would be interested to see, do they actually change any of the visuals? Given, like, I, I know they plan to run this as, like, a game of service. I know they I, I threw a shot at the battle pass there, but I do think they had planned to have a, both a season pass and a battle pass, which is fucking bullshit. But <laughs> I wonder, do, will they actually, like, change how I got to get my Kenny Omega the cleaner attire through the battle pass. There's gonna be so much of that. It's gonna make me annoyed. I'm gonna be annoyed. I'm gonna be annoyed at the game. But I'm gonna become the greatest AEW Fight Forever Battle Royale champion. You're gonna do the esports. Yeah, I'm gonna become the top guy. I'm gonna. I'm yeah. I'm gonna form an esports team, and I'm gonna be number one. The Stadium Stampede esports league. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna, gonna I'm gonna win it. Me and Adam Cole. <laughs> you and the Chugs. Yeah, me and the Chugs. We're gonna go at it. Age old rivalry. I thought you were gonna be partners. No, 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 no. It's, well, it's, I assume it's not going to be team-based. So it's going to be the, the You've Got to Be Kidding Me esports team versus the Chugs esports team. Mm-hmm. Mm. We'll do it. We'll grind it. We're going to end the podcast, and we're going to just focus on the Fight Forever grind. Liam will actually just gonna be get playing an influencer Fight house. in the background of every podcast going forward. Yep. And then um, Subway Surfer at the bottom, and we'll upload it and get a million views. <laughs> More of a, a temple run guy myself. It's because you're old. I am old. That that is basically it. Because there was Temple Run, and then there was was it just Minion Run or was it Minion Rush? I played that Minion game to fucking death, and now I the, don't know the Minion game. It's the same thing, but just Minion. And then now it's Subway Surfer. 
Was that why Surfer was around when I was young? They're all the same game. They're literally identical yeah. video games. Well, Subway Surfer is actually a little different, Garrett, because it has vertical aspects to it. I think Minion Ranch did too. I bet Subway Surfer came out first. But it's been a while since I played the Minion game. I think Temple Run is the originator though, isn't it? Yeah, it was the first one. And then Subway Surfer got big. And then they all just ripped it off. Subway Surfer came out over a decade ago. Minion Rush also came out over a decade ago. Alright, well I didn't know you were such a big defender of Minion Rush. I love the Minions. I'm, well, actually, no I don't. I'm still mad they ripped off the Rabbids. How pissed Minion do you think Rush. Ubisoft are about that, by the way? That, like, they did the Rabbids, which were their, their thing. And then Universal Illumination... Uh, Minion Rush came out a year later, it ripped it off. Fake game. Well, they, they both ripped off Temple Run. But, uh, I but, know. But, but, yeah. The minions ripped off uh, rabbits, so they're ripping everything off. It makes sense. It adds up. Yeah, I hate minions. I'm the big rabbits defender. I hate minions. I like two of the minions-related movies. I've never seen a minion movie. And I never will. Wow, vendetta against the minion. Yep. I think that's some kind of racism. <laughs> Against minions specifically, yes. Yeah. All right, before we get into the show, you can head to tnachat.com where you can hear more rambling 15-minute opening segments. <laughs> 18. Well, when it's edited down. I, I was I was trying to get wow. ahead of the editing. Wow. Silencing me. Yeah, some of your stuff needs to be silenced. I'm sorry. Wow. What the fuck? Where you can hear our uh, Raintaker show where we're covering 2013 New Japan at the moment. The most recent show we did was Dominion with a Togi Makabe main event, which rocked bunch of bullet club business yeah it's the bullet club show now and we also covered all of 2012 pwg so that full year is there for you to listen to before we move on to lucha underground next that will be our next series the first episode of lucha underground will be next and the full series of the monday night war the full series of global force wrestling the full series of ring King, the full series of wrestling society x all there waiting for you at patreon.com slash kidding me or tnhad.com as well as watch alongs for every tna monthly pay-per-view so far including unbreakable 2005 and a bunch of the weekly pay-per-views too and a wrestlemania reviews of Rachel man randy savage's album of chris rock's movie head of state that's there for you too um, all out instant reaction 20 2021 yeah when i was earnest and enthusiastic yep before you were jaded before i was broken and shattered also, show notes for every episode. You can read 15 pages of notes about September 2005 over there on Patreon. You can get an ad-free episode. So if you're like, oh, those ads are annoying. A whole dollar gets rid of them over on Patreon.com. com, As well as our star ratings for all of these matches. And every match we have watched so far in this TNA show, which is like hundreds. So you can be like, what's the best match from 2003? It's right there waiting for you. Liam says it's Don Callis. No, that's 2004. Damn it. <laughs> Fake fan. Let's go throw a shot at you for giving four and a quarter to Don Cal's and Eric Watts again. It's AMW triple X. <laughs> so there you go. All of that waiting for you. TNHat.com, Patreon.com slash kidding me. All the content you could ever want in the world if you'd like to hear more of us based on those first <laughs> the opening minutes about Final Fantasy and mobile games. Yes. Which brings us to the month that was September 2005, a very famous month in TNA history, like, and very notable because it is the final month before Spike TV. The next episode of Impact we'll watch is the Spike debut. I'm excited. And we're going to do a watch-along for that? Oh, yes. So, yeah, if you'd like to hear the watch-along for our next episode, we'll do both Bound for Glory 2005 and the Spike TV debut episode, which I've always insisted is as close as TNA has ever put on to a perfect episode of television. So, And I will tell you it's bad and terrible. <laughs> 
so that's coming up too. But yeah, we're, we are literally on the cusp. We are we are on the edge of Spike TV. Unbreakable is the last new show before Spike TV. They take a couple weeks off of TV. They didn't tape TV after Unbreakable. They're coming back for the Spike debut on October 1st. So yeah, right on the edge of like the, the boom period for TNA. It's all about the boom. Yes, we're about to approach Spike TV. We're going to start seeing TNA do numbers that AEW would quiver for, that they wish they could have. I'm starting to, I'm trying to start a culture war. Is, is it going to work? A TNA versus AEW culture war? Yeah. I do occasionally throw shots like that by being like, more people have watched Max and Jeremy Buck on television than ever watched Matt and Nick Jackson. <laughs> Didn't I say that to you? <laughs> Throwing those kind of elbows out on Twitter when people get mad at me. Yeah, of course. You got to hit it every time, you know? Mm. But yeah, I don't know. It's very exciting. It's exciting to see the TNA sort of hit that next level era where the, the general wrestling zeitgeist sort of remembers it. You know, we get to the stage where people have nostalgia for the company because they saw it on this gigantic channel. Yeah, because this this is when they like well and truly break into the mainstream. Like by the time they get on Spike, their audience will be about four times larger than it was when it was on FSN. Like FSN mm-hmm. had them reach like 150, 200,000. Spike on Saturday nights will end up being 800, 900,000. So a huge, huge bunch of people will start watching TNA for the first time this month. And that, as you said, that's like the, the breakthrough of the nostalgia point. And like it's it's this company finally making it. They said we wouldn't make one month. <laughs> they said we wouldn't make one year. But now we've made it. But yeah, after three years, over three years of like struggling, there was that period early in this year and kind of into the summer where they were going off TV where it was looking pretty shaky. And if the Spike deal didn't come, they probably would have ended up on WGN. But I think the WGN deal would have ended up closer to FSN than it ended up being on Spike. Because I think Spike ended up being like a perfect storm factor, some of which we'll talk about right now in a sec, that that kind of helped launch TNA. And WWE accidentally tripped and fell their way into accidentally launching TNA. Yeah. So, you know, it's all very exciting. Exciting to see TNA take its place in wrestling history at that next level as being a legitimate number B. Number B? B is a number. They haven't, like, really been a national company. They've been available nationally, but, like, they they haven't really been a national wrestling company. But, like, Spike, that's national TV. That's, like, proper real deal national TV. Yeah, we are for real now. So, notes on the Spike deal. TNA's final deal with Spike TV stipulates that Spike sells the ad time, not TNA. TNA will get two minutes of ad time each show to promote its upcoming reviews and other merchandise. Otherwise, Spike gets to keep all the revenue that it sells as part of its slamming Saturday night block. TNA doesn't have to pay for time, though, which is a much better deal than they had with Fox Sports Net and gives them a legitimate chance at turning a profit next year. The um, not paying for things generally is a better deal. It's funny, it's like, we're not making any money directly from Spike. The idea is, like, the extra audience will get on Spike, we can then push toward merchandise, push toward pay-per-view, and that's how we'll make our money. But Spike sell all the ads and they make all the money. But it's, it's like, yeah, it's like, but also we're not paying Spike to be on the air, which is a huge difference from Fox Sports Net. Yeah, that's an immediate sort of return of investment. Mm. Like well, not even return of investment, just lack of investment to put in. Yeah, it cost them a great deal less money to actually put the show on. Which was kind of the big thing that was killing them leading up to this was the production cost of putting on these shows. It's why we started to see the same wrestlers work every episode of TV instead of a mix then a match and why they moved to taping in on, uh, one day or two days instead of doing them a little more sporadically. 
Yeah, because these shows we've been watching have been taped over like a one-day block, four hours, and you can tell, uh, based on the energy of those crowds, that it is the, the, the kind of Ring of Honor-esque, long, long TV taping that people get bored of. Probably the same amount of matches on all four episodes of TNA as one Ring of Honor show. Yeah, because they do tape, like, it's usually five-ish on Impact at the moment. They change that when they get the spike. I think it gets down to three, which I think is makes for a better paced show uh, with, with three longer matches than, like, a five, well, like, mixed matches, one long and kind of four bunch of short ones. But yeah, yeah. so they would tape about 20 matches plus some explosion matches, which would probably bring you up to like 25 over the course of uh, one TV taping, which is too many matches to sit through. Yeah, it's almost one ROH. Uh, one episode, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good God, why, why does that show the way it is? Stop it. Ah, well, gotta do what you gotta do. After concerns a month ago that TNA might get on Spike but not get the support needed from the network to be a success, Spike TV stepped up Monday night. <laughs> Spike TV is not the stepfather, but it is the father that stepped up. <laughs> Oh no. Yeah, Spike executives are walking around backstage wearing that t shirt. <laughs> During Raw this week, Spike TV dedicated two commercials to promoting the debut of TNA Impact on Spike TV on October 1st at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. The commercials showed generic high spots from TNA without focusing on any stars. While there was brief close ups of Raven's face, it was to show him in agony, not to showcase his star power. I like this kind of analysis. It's like, mm. what's going on in these commercials? Raven was in pain. He wasn't shown as a star. Jeff Jarrett wasn't in it at all. I mean, there is, like, legitimate sort of critiquing to be had there. Like, if I'm promoting that show, I'm like, here is Raven, here is Rhino, here is some people you realise, here is AJ doing some crazy bullshit that you've never seen before. Go watch this show, look how much crazier and in- more interesting it looks than what you're watching right now. It sounds like they did do that without focus, because, like, Raven and Jarrett never do anything. Well, Raven does cool stuff. Jarrett never does cool stuff. It does sound like this is like, here's AJ doing a flip dive, here's Chris Daniels. I, 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 don't, I haven't seen this spot, I don't think it's available online, but I would... Mm. That would have been fun if we could have found it. I would guarantee, like, the Skipper Cage walk is in there. Stuff like that. It feels like that's the kind of thing that's like, the, the, like high impact, high spots, quick spot, teen impact debuts. Yeah. The Aaron Ards during Raw is such a petty move and I fucking love it. I don't even think it's petty. I just think it's smart business. Well, it is, because they, they're out of the WWE business and into the TNA business, so while they still have WWE on their show, they're using the WWE hours to push toward their future show, which makes a lot of sense, but it makes WWE fucking mad. <laughs> As I said, like, the, the WWE accidentally kind of created their own biggest rival during this era. Like, if the Spike relationship ended on better terms, and their full-fledged war at the moment, by the way, <laughs> which is so funny to think WWE and a television network are going to war there's a whole bunch of stuff where like obviously the first raw in usa is october 3rd and the, the, the spike tv had decided to counter program that with a live ufc <laughs> rules. so like not only are they like trying to use it to push tna it's like we're going to war with the ufc too fuck you you're being a bunch of bitches on the way out we're also being a bunch of bitches on the way out but that that only benefits tna because tna are the good like I'd imagine part of the reason Spike were like, hey, let's pick up DNA. Fuck WWE. They're being assholes to us. But also now they're using WWE. They're leveraging the last few weeks of WWE to promote TNA's debut, which is only big for TNA. That That is a huge thing for them to put like TNA ads in front of the probably 3 million or so people that were watching Raw at this stage. Like, it, it's so interesting to think about how WWE helped TNA considerably in this situation. Mm, I hope when... um. 
WWE ends up leaving USA or Fox, they piss them off on the way out too, and they're like, you know what, fuck it, let's get MOW. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's courts big time. Yeah. Be good. That'd be fun. But, um... One thing I'm interested in seeing, because obviously I don't really remember, uh, is if there's like any sort of distinguishable production boost when we head into the Spike era. There's a, a note about that in a moment. Like, it'll still look like the Impact Zone. It's, it's still the Impact Zone, you know? Hmm, yeah. But like, when you think about in the year plus we've been watching Impact, there's never been a match graphic. Yeah. You know, they've never had like that kind of production. They've never been like, we have match graphics. <laughs> we have vignette. That isn't just one that we've put 17 times on show. Mm. Uh, like you'll get match graphics for the pay-per-view matches, but for, for Impact, there's no such thing. There has never been a match graphic for an Impact match. There's no like format for that at this stage, which is kind of crazy to think about. Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see how TNA sort of steps up to being in a major television environment. I always wonder, like... They stuck with Orlando for this, which is fine because they have a really engaged audience there at the moment. And uh, you'll see for the debut, that crowd are going bonkers. And it is cheaper to run the studio. But like, they probably would have done a decent crowd for their national television debut, you know? Make it like a, a pay-per-view on television. Well, at least like run a building. Mm. I don't know, but maybe they want to like establish in the, the mind of the viewer that like, this is what TNA looks like. This is what it is. Yeah, and you can do that in a studio and you also don't run the risk of uh, bombing. So, you know, like, you know what it will look like on TV, at least. You know you'll pack that place yeah, with 800 people. You're doing a, a GFW amped in front of, like, a, this giant building that's only, like, 50% full. Yeah, so you, you can control the optics a little more in the studio, I guess. But, I, I like, that'll be a talking point more as we go, like, deeper into the spike years and how long it takes them to get on the road a little more regularly. It's like, they probably, like, they had the star power to draw. Mm. But, like, you know, there's elements to seeing how this was done that I look at and I go, I probably would have done something a little different. Like, you could have done some, like, again, having not seen the the ad that they ran you could be like hey here's some glamour shots of jeff hardy here's some glamour shots of rhino and raven just interspersed between these crazy high spots and the the cage walk and amw and all this you know Mm. this unprecedented exposure for tna gives it its best chance any promotion may have 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 for many years in competing meaningfully with wwe sands a major network itself owning a starter promotion wwe's entire audience will be exposed to ads over the next four weeks so that first week's rating should tell a lot about tna's potential to make a dent and a note flipped out on the August 29th Raw when they aired a TNA commercial and started throwing some headsets. Yeah, that's 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 based. You know, that's sick. We loved we love seeing Vince flustered. Yeah, because they would have been in like the truck because they would have had the the Spike TV feed as in like during the commercial and there's a TNA Mm -hmm. ad. I would have loved to see like the the truck's reaction live as they see that a TNA ad is airing during (laughs) Raw. They all just go deathly silent as Vince starts swearing. Uh, the TNA contract with Psych TV goes into full effect on October 1st. It's a 52-week deal through late September of 2006. Judging from the TV commercials, the plan to change the name was overruled. Dave talked about how, like, th- there was a plan to call it Impact on Slammin' Saturday Night. They do mention Slammin' Saturday Night because that is the marketing block. But they are, like, the show is just still called Impact. Should be Saturday Night Impact. Well, it gets moved pretty quick, Dave, so that wouldn't have worked, would it? I hate, like, the predisposition to adding like friday night monday night saturday night i think it's so dumb it's the kind of thing where it's like you you want to market the day the show is on within the name but also like people can work that shit out come on yeah every time i see saturday night collision i go all right maybe it just offends me because it's not on saturday for me yeah it's a it's a illegal to australians yeah it's like it's thursday night dynamite actually is it thursday morning dynamite yeah all right shut up (laughs) 
Don't 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 question me in front of the people. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll do this off air. TNA president Dixie Carter told TNAWrestling.com the promotion has achieved one of its major goals within its business model in being broadcast <laughs> on a major cable network. Be on a real channel. <laughs> it's like number one goal: be on TV. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's it's a pretty big one. To be fair, number two goal is follow Dixie on Twitter. But mm. can't wait till we start seeing that. Carter hinted that more big news is coming pertaining to the Spike deal on contract negotiations with Spike as well as WGN. Dixie said, We were fortunate enough to have interest from several places. In the end, we felt that Spike TV and their audience was the best place for us to be. These guys understand our audience and have experience in wrestling. They value the product and we look forward to growing our property together. Wow, a new professional era for Dixie Carter now that she's on national television. Yeah, I told you I'm bringing new professional energy to this podcast. That means (laughs) no more accents. No more snakes in the back. No more snakes in the back. I'm not about bits anymore. You were just about professional analysis. Yep. You know, I want to get that call up from post wrestling. <laughs> they do bits. Cut that, cut that, cut that. <laughs> They'll kick us off. Rich will come for us. It's like, post? Yeah, be like, whoa. You, you want to go to post? Uh, we got to get that call up to Spike TV. First, Brandon betrays us. Now you do. <laughs> Uh, Carter said TNA is considering each available free agent from WWE on a case-by-case basis, but the focus will remain on the current group of wrestlers who have worked their butts off for TNA and deserve this exposure to show the world how amazing they are. The thing is, like, I think at this stage, it's, you know, they're being a bit more particular about which WWE guys are coming in, and that's smart. And they have such a core roster of, like, their own next stars that they can do that with, too. So, like, it's in a very healthy position to be in. Yeah, it's kind of like where it's like, you just have to add, like, five guys. Just five guys? Yeah, just five guys to your roster to, like, bolster Bring the star Bring in Taichi, Sonata, Doki, Kanemaru. And when you think about, like, those five guys, you could say, end up being, like, Nash, Team 3D, Christian, and Sting. Those are, like, a pretty good five guys. Those are the best, that's pretty great five guys to get. Like, those are, are good guys to bolster the star power side of the roster, which you can argue is the part that's lacking. Yeah. And, like, that's the thing, too. Like, they, they even have, like, a good little number of those people. Mm-hmm. But once you expand it just that little bit more, I think it's it's a good touch. Because, like, especially watching Unbreakable, I had the thought of, like, the world title picture feels like it's in a, a solid place star-wise now. And, obviously, the exhibition title feels like it's in a great place, too. So, just having those couple more to fill it out. And, honestly, having a gigantic name tag team would be really nice in this division that's kind of been the same four tag teams feuding with each other for a year. You're sick of the Naturals in AMW? I'm sick of the Naturals AMW and Team Canada wrestling each other like interchangeably on all these, all of these pay-per-views. Uh, on the topic of tag teams, TNA is pursuing a few non-TNA names, such as the Dudley Boys, Charlie Haas, and Shannon Moore, and looking to add a returning name such as Kevin Nash to create buzz amongst non-TNA followers. But the objective is to focus on the core roster members. Bubba Ray and Devon are asking for top dollar to appear in TNA, causing managers to become reluctant to sign them. Uh, not because they don't think they're worth it, because they're worried that other people will also ask for that kind of money. <laughs> Just try and talk them down as much as possible. Yeah, it's like, listen, guys, we think you're worth it. But if we give it to you, 
We'll have to give it to Raven. We don't want to give it to Raven. <laughs> yeah. Raven and Rhino will come into our offices and be like, hey. Yeah, AJ will be like, what the hell? And they're like, no, definitely definitely not you. Mm. The biggest story surrounding the convention, this was Bubba and Devon were doing a convention. I think it was their first convention as the Dudley Boys post WWE. And WWE was like, hey, about that Dudley Boys name. Mm. Just days before it was to start, Devon Hughes and Mark LaMonica, Dave loves losing his shoot names. <laughs> So WWE doesn't sue him either, actually. He's scared WWE will send him a legal letter <laughs> for using the Dudley name. It's like, the Dudley... Oh, no. Got a legal letter from WWE stating they were banned from not only using the Dudley's name, but the WWF was claiming trademarks on attire and catchphrases. <laughs> Just insane. And told LaMonica that the photos of him on his own website, taken during his WWE tenure, constituted copyright infringement and threatened him with a $150,000 damage case per photo. It's insane. Like, WWE lowballed them. That's why they left. Like, WWE said, we are, we don't think you're worth that, so less money? And they said, no, okay, we're leaving. Yeah. And then WWE turns around and is like, I get WWE, it shows actually a little bit how shook they are by the idea of TNA being on TV. I was going to say the exact same thing. I was like, do you think this was all because Spike is coming around and they're like, these guys might go there. Let's fuck with them. Yeah, they're pretty sure the Dudleys are headed to TNA and they're like, we can't let them use the Dudley name. We can't even let them use the attire. We can't even let them say get the tables, which they never do. And Bubba, to be fair to him, always found the best, simplest way around it, which was always great. What was it? Where he would push Devon, he would shout Devon, and then he would count one, two, three, and the crowd would do the get the tables. <laughs> That's great. He would go on to do that for like 15 years as like, that is a fantastic way around copyright infringement. Well done. You're going to do sue the fans? <laughs> yeah, sue each individual person in that audience. Do you think that the only reason they went so hard on the Dudleys is because of the Spike war? And that if Spike and WWE were amicable and they knew they were going to TNA, they would have just let them do it? I don't think so. I think just the idea of TNA being on national TV has them not quite rattled, but in like, you know, anti-competitive shut it down WWE mode, which is one of their favorite modes. It's their best. It's the best mode. So they're like, let's go hard on the Dudleys. Like, it's one thing, fair enough, the name. You know, the, you, you do own the name. There's there some people who's like, you bought the name. You didn't create the name. And now you're enforcing it. But there's some, but like, listen, that's how copyright law, they bought ECW, they own the name. And so, like, the name is, is fair game. Like, the attire is the thing that I'm like, fuck off. Mm. It's like the one, if they could get away with it, they'd be like, we're also going to copyright the 3D and you can't have the move. It is funny that they didn't have 3D trademarked, isn't it? And that's the thing I've been thinking about a lot more lately with like, you know, WWE being a little more enforcing on their copyright. I was like, are we ever going to get to a stage in wrestling where they're like, we are going to copyright this move. <laughs> and if someone uses this move on a different pro wrestling show, we're going to sue them. <laughs> They could shut the entire entity of independent wrestling down if they trademarked the Canadian Destroyer. Trademark the Canadian Destroyer and trademark the RKO. They could just kill all of wrestling in an instant. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I, I, obviously, I don't. There's probably always going to be cases of it happening outside of the WWE first, but it's it's just an interesting sort of thing, you know. Mm. So as I said WWE offered them deals that lowballed them, and that's why they left. So that that does work. Like that that is the thing that makes it feel extra petty for me. It's like you lowballed them. You can't be assholes about them leaving. Mm. Well, they can because they're going to go to their biggest competition in years. Mm. And another sign of Spike TV support of TNA, not only did the two more 15-second commercials air during Raw, but the network has scheduled TNA for a Monday night replay each week starting October 3rd. That's sick. 
Although it won't go head-to-head -head with Raw, Monday Nights will feature two prominent national promotions on national cable TV for the first time since the final edition of Nitro in 2001. So it's a midnight replay, so it'll be about an hour after Raw airs. But yeah, it's another one of those things is like, fucking hate you, WWE. We're going to put them on Mondays too. God, I really want them to piss off USA and Fox now. I really want them to piss off USA and Fox. Again, it's so funny to see a whole fucking television network going to war with WWE. How hilarious would it be to see, like, MLW just get, like, an influx of a giant amount of money? Mm. And then it's like, alright, go ahead. Go for it. Go to war! And then Jacob Fatu doing his Bloodline promos. And yeah, WWE would shut that down very quickly then. But that's what I want to say. That's what I want. And then USA gets all pissy and they're like, here, have all this money, MLW. Mm. God, it would be fun. I want a major pro wrestling show on every day of the week on a major network. That's my dream. You'd probably love to have more than one. <laughs> no, I, just give me Monday through Saturday. Oh, and when I say a major pro wrestling show, I also don't mean Raw or SmackDown. <laughs> like, I want other companies that all have major pro wrestling shows every day of the week. Yeah, so Raw and SmackDown are cancelled, and then other shows get Monday Oh, and they Friday. can still run. I'm just not going to watch them. I want every other company to have a, a giant show. I like the way you're okay with NXT, though. Oh, I'm not watching that either. I also said major. Tuning in with all your lone wolf Baron Corbin nostalgia. Yeah, I was there for that. <laughs> I don't have no nostalgia for it. That Midnight on Monday time slot currently features Maximum MLB. I, I guess technically Midnight on Tuesday, for being pedantic about it. Uh, currently airs uh, MLB highlights from the previous week. Uh, Monday's airing will be a replay of the show that aired on Saturdays. Uh, the new ads for TNA Impact on this week's Raw feature high impacts high spots that blow away most of the athleticism that WWE allows its talents to display. Jeff Jarrett was shown during the ad, but not as a centerpiece. The spot ended with a close-up of Monty Brown yelling. Okay. Man, I really feel like I would put a lot of Jeff Hardy on that. <laughs> I assume he's doing, like, a swanton. Again, I haven't seen the videos. Yeah, but, like, I, I feel like I would make him a very distinct piece of it. I assume there's, like, him throwing himself off a stage. Yeah, I would have him do a little dance, too. I would devote the entire 15-second spot to that time he dropkicked the table after it went wrong. <laughs> yeah, it would just be that clip. <laughs> it's like, what's going on with Jeff these days? Jeez. I hope they had, like, some witty tagline that was, like... You know, I smacked it raw, I want some more, give me some TNA. <laughs> oh yeah, bring back the eyes of fact at raw, I want more TNA. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Everyone should be wearing those shirts on the Spike debut. That'd be perfect. Like, like some get the F out style thing on these promotions. Get Go extra e petty with it. E out. Get the E out of wrestling. <laughs> Bill Banks of TNAWrestling.com reports that TNA will be updating the Impact Zone with more pyrotechnics and new lighting. New video packages, graphics, and other production features are in the works to give the presentation of the product a new feel on Spike TV. Nice. Um, I, I have a production note for you. Oh, go for it. I have a pitch of something I want in the intro. I want Rhino's gore, gore, gore. Like his catchphrase? Yeah, on one of the episodes, he screams gore, gore, gore a bunch. I want that in the intro. Okay, I'll, I'll send that note. Cool. Send that note to our production team. Oh, there's actually an interesting actual production note this month. That changed, it's, like a, it's a pretty major change to TNA presentation on the whole. I thought <laughs> you meant with us. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually, we're doing the show um, uh, with 17% uh, more pyro. Oh, thank God. About time. I have been pitching that for a while. So at some stage during the show, you'll just hear a random out-of-place explosion. <laughs> and that's the pyro. You now have to edit that in. Oh, I do, don't I? <laughs> but just edit in, like, the revolution... <laughs> Um, it's like sparklers and shit that went off during Moxley and Omega. I'll edit in the Fight Forever version of it. Yeah, there you go. Psh, psh, psh. 
but for most of the history of Impact, I think all of the history of Impact, the television show, you mm. have not been able to hear JB. Yeah. Which is a thing I don't think we've ever mentioned, but the way they do it for some reason, I, I, it was a WCW thing as well, so it goes back to that, but you can't actually hear the ring announcer. The ring announcer is there, you can hear him in the background doing the ring announcing, but the commentary always talked over it. And now they're going to make that change. They made that change this month. I didn't notice it. <laughs> you could actually hear JB. JB actually did the ring introductions and then Tanae and Wes came in. Well, there you go. It's an appreciative change. So you can hear JB do all his intros. How do you, what do you, how do you rate JB as a ring announcer? I, I never, I, I thought this era he was better. He gave it more socks. He did it more in like 2014 like as well. And he's like clearly broken by wrestling and not giving it the same like enthusiastic punch to his ring introductions. Mm. But if you're to be like, what's his best role? It's still backstage announcer. Yes, of course. And probably behind the scenes. Well, that's debatable these days based on NXT. Well, I don't count that. That's not a real promotion. Several Spike TV executives are backstage for the TNA Unbreakable pay-per-view. Several sources say they stayed out of everyone's way and didn't interfere in any decisions or operations. They did seem to be pleased to be there and happy with what they saw backstage and in the ring. It's got Kid, it's got kid Cash is in there fighting people. <laughs> yeah, Kid Cash is just burr. Or Vinny Rue being like, guys, you know, you need to actually get these Demore and Tanae and all those guys out so that I can do this properly the way you want it to do. <laughs> no. Uh, well, as we know through history, Spike TV and Vince Russo don't exactly go along. Just like when uh, the Panda people first started showing up and like there was just untold politics. It's like, mm-hmm. get that Jeff Jarrett guy out. He's, he doesn't know what he's talking about. The Spike TV guys, they seem like carnies anyway so they probably would be like yeah okay Mm -hmm. they were especially impressed by what they heard from the crowd tna president dixie carter and top executive frank dickerson (laughs) both seemed satisfied with events throughout the night several sources have commented about the positive atmosphere backstage at tna lately while there are still some turf wars between former WWE wrestlers and longtime tna wrestlers there is not overt animosity visible as everyone seems to be working together to make tna work Wow. Old friends wrestling. Total friends action. It is nice that they do all seem to be pulling in the same direction toward the Spike debut. Well, they're probably like, wow, something seems to be going right here. Who would have thunk? That is the time when there is like maximum bickering. It's like when when the ship has to be righted, everyone's like, my way to right it is best. Whereas when everything's going fine, everyone's like, let's ride this wave for a while. Let's just see where it goes. To stick to my boat metaphor. TNA is offering three-year contracts to many of its key wrestlers on the roster with one year guaranteed and the final two years renewable at the discretion of management. TNA is not offering medical benefits and pay is not guaranteed if wrestlers are injured inside a TNA ring. Roddy Piper's fucking fuming. He's going to cut a really weird promo about it. With TNA moving back into the national spotlight in October, management wants to lock up important wrestlers who WWE may want to try and swoop in and take and add to their roster as a preventative measure against TNA. As reported last week, Monty Brown has been working without a contract and neither side was able to negotiate a deal this past week. So is Six-Pack Sean Waltman. Why do PW Torch call him Six-Pack here? He's just called Sean Waltman. He was announced as Six-Pack Sean Waltman on the, during the week, during the episodes. No, it's all JB's fault. If we didn't be able to, we oh, I thought you couldn't hear JB. Well, I, I made note of it because I was like, oh, that's interesting that they're calling him Six-Pack Sean Waltman. Mm. Brown is one wrestler WWE may be interested in once TNA debuts on Spike TV because of his impressive size and ability to talk. Also, he's a good wrestler. He's also a good wrestler, guys. People really undersell that fact. He does pounces and it's fucking awesome. Just because he's not doing your 40-minute Ring of Honor main event. There is some belief that Waltman may have stepped up his performances the previous two pay-per-views to show WWE that he's capable of performing at a high level inside the ring. Other than issues regarding arriving to pay-per-views and TV tapings at the designated time, he has no behavioral issues with (laughs) TNA management. 
Hmm. I'm sure that won't come into play. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. It's so funny that 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 exact line was in the torch. This one. And there, there's like a lot of Sean Waltman contract negotiation stuff where they're going back and forth, and they they thought they had him signed to a deal, but obviously then shit happened. Mm-hmm. Wrestling agent Barry Bloom has been presenting Mick Foley and Kevin Nash as a package deal to TNA during negotiations. Monty Brown may have also been part of that mix. Nash is advertised for Bound for Glory in October, including being featured on posters. He has not yet signed a long-term contract with TNA, but did agree to work the October pay-per-view and one TV event leading up to it. And T. Ortiz is expected to debut as part of TNA Impact, or return, I guess, as part of TNA Impact when it debuts on Spike TV, which makes sense to tie in with the UFC. Yeah, that's good co-branding for Slam and Saturday nights. And TNA officials are trying to reach Sting and hope to eventually bring in Bret Hart for at least an appearance or two. Waltman has not signed his contract with TNA. The two sides were working out a number of problems that came up in negotiations, but a revised contract has not been presented to Waltman yet for him to sign. We'll talk about some of the issues he had in a say or later when we talk about uh, him no-showing uh, Unbreakable. But um, he had some issues with some of the terms in the contract. And then I, I wonder, like, because Waltman is as, like, Triple H a guy as you get. Mm-hmm. I wonder, was there, like, a little bit in his ear? If it was in his ear, I would be responding back, but then get me my fucking money. That's true. Listen, I'm glad, I'm glad we're pals and we're friends, but, like, you know, one of these options will get me paid. <laughs> Uh, TNA management requested Kevin Nash attend Sunday's Unbreakable pay-per-view in order to be introduced to Spike TV executives. They're they're rolling out Nash to like swoon the executives, which is actually a really good move. Yeah, of course that man that man can swoon everything. He's one of the most charming individuals in pro wrestling. Nash finished at the top of a focus group study Spike TV did to rate the recognition factor of various wrestlers, some of whom are on the roster and others who are not. He did attend and was said to appear to be in great shape. But he left the pay-per-view early to fly to California for some movie commitments. He will return in time for the September TV taping and the Spike TV debut, but has not yet signed a long-term contract, as said. Part of the reason uh, Waltman no-showing Unbreakable was such an issue was they also wanted to roll out Sean Waltman, and he was not there. Mm. He was not available to be rolled out. Yeah, so Kev had to do, like, 40% more swooning, which he is capable of. Uh, Three TNA wrestlers suffered injuries coming out of sacrifice into TV tapings that are keeping them out of the ring for a short time, Styles, Saban, and Shelley. Styles suffered a knee injury in his match against Samoa Joe. The severity of the injury is not yet known, but he didn't wrestle on TV, so if you're wondering why AJ didn't wrestle on TV this month, that is why. Uh, he did make a run-in during a couple of segments. Uh, Saban suffered a serious jaw injury on the TV tapings. The injury occurred during Saban's final match at the tapings, which I guess is the uh, Chris Candido Memorial Cup final. Uh, one eyewitness said Saban was bleeding profusely from the mouth backstage after the match and needed extensive medical assistance. He was scheduled to appear for PWG, but was scratched because of the injury. I did notice that um he was bleeding. Yeah, clearly Shocker is uh, such a bad tag team partner that he destroyed Chris Saban's mouth. Oh, yeah. He's a bad tag team partner. Did you not see what happened? There's a lot of bad tag team partners this month, given the the, the whole premise of it's that It's hilarious that in this tag team tournament, everyone hates them, everyone. And not, not only tag team tournament, tag team tournament of which the very idea is like inspired by how Chris Candido was a mentor to so many young wrestlers. So they're putting the young wrestlers and old wrestlers together and none of them get along. Yeah. Uh, Shelly suffered a back injury at the, at the Impact tapings as well, wrestled in a PWG tag, but then pulled out of Ring of Honor as a precautionary measure because of the injury. So a couple of couple of TNA wrestlers banged up. Damn. This is really bad for Gorilla Radio. <laughs> TNA is considering breaking up three live crew altogether and with all three men going oh. their separate ways. Oh. TNA is planning to reunite BG James and Kip James down the road to form a team perhaps oh. called the James Gang or some variation of such. 
That sounds like a great idea. The move to have BG James help Conan and Ron Killings defeat Monty and Kip James at the baby was to give closure to one chapter of the storyline that went on a little too long. Once DNA debuts on Spike TV, the storyline is expected to head in a different direction. Cool. Oh, yeah. Everything seems to be on the path of Jeff Hardy and Ron Killings as a tag team for the future. So it appears it all is smoothed over Killings regarding Killings. pitching a couple months ago. Yeah, Killings is like, put me with Jeff, because he's like, Jeff will be pushed, so we'll have fun. Uh, I think Jeff ends up leaving before this can ever happen, but... No. They would have been a cool tag team. Killings didn't want to get lost in the shuffle if and when Trio K was broken up and had an argument with Jeff Jarrett. Arguably, he's been lost in the shuffle with Trio K being here, but... Yeah, he's not, he's not like a focus of Trio K. It's all been Conan and BG... Jarrett didn't love the idea of him teaming with Hardy. It's basically guys looking out for themselves who, uh, because everyone knows that no matter what he does, where, whether, whether he gets over or not for political reasons, because they will still mark out for yesterday's news. This is, again, Dave editorial. Jeff Hardy's a star, Dave. I'm sorry. Yeah, yesterday's news. He's like, the. He, I guess he's not bigger than Kevin Nash, according to the thing, but he's up there. Yeah, but Hardy will be always got strong. It's like, you're like, oh, for no reason whatsoever, they will give Jeff Hardy more leeway. It's like, there is a very big reason they'll give Jeff Hardy more leeway. Yeah. Uh, Conan is probably going to be okay with it as well, since they have approved bringing in Homicide, as Conan had requested for a new Hispanic heel group that would also include Shocker <gasps> and Apollo. Mm, I wonder what that could be. What could it possibly be? There is no way of knowing until sometime in early 20, or 2006. Irish-Australian exchange. Last week. <laughs> They're selling my great pitch for our new show. Oh, oh, 51, 58, nothing to mess with. I don't know what like criminal code in Ireland is. Mm. I don't know if we even have numbers. I don't know. Liam is Googling the Australian criminal code right as we speak. Um... <laughs> Section 12 of the Crimes Act 1900. <laughs> Ain't nothing to mess with. With a... a Irish, Australian, I and A. I guess if you cross the A with your fingers, with your finger, that's an I and an A. Sidewards I and an A. That's our, our hand gesture. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> For the Irish-American, Irish-Australian exchange. God, no one wants an Irish-American exchange. Except to end a famine. All right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's the best joke I've ever had. Last week, Chris Jericho authorized <laughs> the use of his image in front of a TNA logo on his website, www.chrisjericho.com. I'm going there right now. I hope the TNA logo is still there. Fueling speculation that he was headed to TNA. There was no text indicating what the image is supposed to mean. Since Jericho's WWE contract expired after SummerSlam and he lost a You're Fired match, many believed he might be covertly planning to sign with TNA. But as reported for weeks, Jericho plans to take an extended leave of absence so he can spend time with his family, recharge his batteries, explore some Hollywood opportunities, and tour with Fozzie. He promised Vince he would not go anywhere. He promised Vince he would go back to WWE. And he did. So this is all Jericho just... Just messing around trying to coast off sp TNA's positive momentum classic clout vampire Chris Jericho shows up being like oh TNA is positive momentum they're showing up on Spike clout vampire clout vampire imagine if he had have gone that would have been huge yeah there, there's the next news note as well that we'll talk about but like if the couple of stars Jericho's he's arsing around he's not actually thinking about this I'm sure they asked him and I'm sure he was like nah hmm or he asked, like, insane money that he never would get. Yeah, I'd be stunned if they didn't at least be like, they didn't send out feelers, they didn't dip their toe in that water. But I, I don't think it's ever feasible. 
they have any friends? I guess Conan's a friend of Jericho, isn't he? Uh, yes, and imagine like Scott Demore's Canadian. I assume they know each other. <laughs> That's how that works. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I want to read uh Chris Jericho's AEW blurb on ChrisJericho.com. Sure. In January 2019, Jericho signed with All Elite Wrestling and is an in- integral reason why AEW is the hottest wrestling promotion in the world today. He currently appears every Wednesday night on TBS as AEW's top star. And leader of the Jericho Appreciation Society. I would not expect anything less of Chris. <laughs> he says he's the top star in his own blurb. That's really funny. I single-handedly launched the AEW brand, and I'm its top star. Yeah. Well, he was. <laughs> not now. Team Phil. Fuck Brian Alvarez. <laughs> All the homies hate Brian Alvarez. Uh, the TNA graphic was removed. It was just a red herring. He was just arsing around. And he didn't acknowledge it when he rolled on his website days later. Like, I hope TNA didn't ask him to bring it down, because you should want that up there on his website, because then people might think Chris Jericho's showing up. I hope Jericho didn't even ask for it to be put there. I hope TNA paid off his, like, webmaster to put up the Jericho TNA logo. It's like, ah, give us some fuzz. Uh, That's great. A person who came an awful lot closer to actually signing. TNA had been planning, tentatively, for months, that Mick Foley would be part of its first telecast on Spike TV. After months of Foley's agent negotiating with TNA, the offer was then taken to Vince McMahon to beat, and then he beat it, offering a multi-year seven-figure deal that gives Mick Foley a lot more creative control over his character and how he does outside commitments. That's great for Mick Foley. Foley 2 in 2005. Let's have a look. He made he wrestled once in 2005 for WWE. What was that match? No, no he did two. He did two. He wrestled against Carlito at Taboo Tuesday as Mankind, mm. seven minutes. And he wrestled against John Bradshaw Layfield for two minutes in a No Holds Barred match on Holiday with the Troops. He did, however, take three outside bookings where he wrestled at the Mark Curtis Memorial Reunion, where he teamed with Shane Douglas to defeat Al Snow and D'Lo Brown and win the Tri-Cities Tag Team titles. He also wrestled at Wrestle Reunion 2, teaming with the Midnight Express... Sorry, no, the Midnight Express defeated Mick Foley and the Funk Brothers. Is there any chance that was actually good? No. (laughs) It went 15 minutes. (laughs) There's no chance that was actually good. And then he did a show in the West Midlands where he did a hardcore elimination match. Mick Foley, Paul Travel, Steve Carino, and the Sandman defeated Alex Shane, Iceman, Martin Stone, and Styx. What a year for Mick Foley. And he got seven figures. <laughs> yeah, because he was out of contract, obviously, which is why you could do all those matches, and he was a, a Ring of Honor regular at this stage, popping up in Ring of Honor a lot. Hey, he was doing the stuff with Punk, and, and that's when he started recommending Punk and Joe to the degree. Yeah, and, and like part of the reason he was like somewhat eager to go to TNA is like if he wanted to do another match, he wanted to wrestle joe yeah and then of course next year at mania he does the edge match yeah and like that's that's the thing i was gonna, like mick foley would have made i think a big difference at this point a lot bigger oh, difference than he made in 2008 when he ended up going because like yeah. not only is he mick foley not only is he one of the best talkers in the history of wrestling and an actual major he's star also one of the best wrestlers in, in wrestling ever. and he's also not washed yet yeah because <laughs> like he's not too long after the match that made randy orton's career and he's not too far away from the match that made edge's career so he only wrestles a handful of times each year until 2009 and then he comes back and does his big run yeah he's a a relative full-timer with tna i'm looking forward to seeing the mick foley tna run i think it's underrated this i've seen a couple matches and i'm like he's still pretty good he's mick foley and like his promo stuff is awesome he does like some actual top tier promo stuff in tna that no one really remembers or cares about He also shoots on Bubba the Love Sponge, which is maybe one of the greatest moments in TNA history. That is up there. But I I don't even think Mick gives his own TNA run enough credit for, like, it being pretty good. Mm. 
It is. I mean, I remember. I remember it quite fondly, at least. Mm. Folia told friends he was glad when his previous WWE contract expired a few years ago, citing a desire to book his own life and not have to follow a schedule thrust upon him. Once he was a free agent, he became further disillusioned with WWE's treatment of him, as he told friends he felt underappreciated and taken for granted. That frustration is what led him to want to help TNA out of the gate if they got a TV deal. TNA though was unable to make an offer that would match WWE's, so Foley stayed with WWE with his first match. I'm sorry, seven figures. Yeah. I get it. Um, I'm just learning that Foley's last match was a Rumble appearance. Which is a shame. Yeah, well, it's a shame considering like for a while that they were planning to introduce Mox against him. And that was gonna, that would have been probably his last match, which would have been sort of perfect. Yeah. And like, there's a reason he hasn't done a match since, but. Yeah. But it would have been nice if like his last match was putting over sort of the next top tier pro wrestling brawler in America. Because mm. he talks a lot about it. If you listen to his podcast when he's talking about his TNA run, he talks a lot about how he was getting concussed a lot. Yeah. Like for, for bumps that would be normal bumps. Like it, it, that, that, that's the thing he was talking about. Like that really scared him. Like a lot of the time when he would get a concussion, it would make sense. You know, you would take a hard shot to the head and you'd get a concussion and you'd be like, you know, I, sh- I shouldn't do that. But what, during his TNA run, he talked a lot about how like he'd take just a normal bump and get concussed. And he was like, at that point, he's like, oh, that's really scary. Yeah. He's actually someone who has done remarkably well in his later life in comparison to the, all the shit he put his body through. Yeah. I'm sure his day-to-day probably doesn't feel the same way, but... <laughs> yeah. See, but, like, comparably to the sort of stuff he did, mm. he actually got out pretty fine. Uh, I watched the the WWE post of that thing with him and Undertaker watching the Hell in a Cell match yesterday. Oh, how was that? I was like, oh, that's fun. I was actually, as I was watching a little bit of the Edge 25-year retrospective thing that they put up, um, I, was, I was, like, talking about how it's so interesting that, like, wrestling and kayfabe has just become, like, different. Like, it's just a different thing now. And on, like, the biggest pro wrestling media medium possible, like, they're just like, oh, yeah, here's all the stuff we worked through, and here's what we did, and you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just an interesting, like, this is what pro wrestling is now. It's, like, full acknowledgement of it being a performance. Yeah, where just the two lads sit down and talk through the match. Yeah, which is why, like, I sort of disagree with the wrestling requires you to suspend your disbelief thing. I don't think that's true. I don't think I need to... I don't think I ever suspend my disbelief. I think that's true within the context of the television show itself. Oh, yeah, like, the show needs to be presented as if everything is real. But as a fan, I don't think I need to be watching it and going, this is real for me to enjoy it. Yeah, I don't don't need anybody playing their character on social media or any of that shit. Like, that annoys me more than anything else. I'm like, stop. Yeah, as long... Like, but, like, when it's the actual television show being produced, of course, you have to keep it all within universe. That's how pro wrestling works. And it falls apart if you go out of the universe even not in a kayfabe sense but the thing that i sort of you know bounce against is this idea that for wrestling to be good and for someone to enjoy you need to be watching it and thinking like within that context because i don't think i do i think i can be watching something in any sort of way and like i never actually have to be like they look at them really doing the thing it's the reason i hate work shoots more than anything it's like you don't have to convince me this is real at, at, like, no point do you really have to convince me this is real. In the same way you don't have to convince me any television show or movie is real. Like, I'm willing mm. to watch this show and think these guys want to fight and hurt each other within the context of the show. Like, I believe that already when I watch the show. I, I, I get I, it's, I get their characters that want to fight. I understand this. You don't have to, like, fake shit to convince me of that. You don't have to be like, no, guys, this one's actually real. They really hate each other. It's like, no, you can just be like, that guy hates each other, that guy, they're gonna fight. Because it's a TV show and I'm watching a TV show. 
you don't need to tell me because if they do hate each other, I'll know. Yeah, they start hitting each other. What's going on? Why are they hitting each other? Yeah. Yeah, like, ooh, that one looked a little rough. Uh, Hangman is shooting. So, yeah, I, I do hate the, like, trying to work reality into the actual show itself. It's like, stop it. I, like, there's levels to it, I think. I don't Just mind do some show. of it. But... Just do your show. Yeah. And, like, you can draw off of real things because, like, mm. I think... A lot of the time, a lot of great characters and moments come from real life things, but you don't have to be like, this is somewhat, this is an actual thing that's happening. Yeah, that this is real. Like, stop it. Babies. Yeah, you hate Prince Devitt. I do. I only support Finn Balor in The Judgment Day and Tom Mysterio. Mm-hmm. Mick Foley told Between the Ropes Radio that he was very close to signing a TNA deal before accepting a WWE offer. He said his TNA role would have been as a figurehead commissioner who would also wrestle a couple of matches, so keep that in mind for 2008. <laughs> he said mm-hmm. he hopes the TNA show on Spike would be a success without him and provide healthy competition for TNA. He said he did not use TNA's offer to get more money from WWE, an apparent reference to creative control and better public uh, publicity for side projects being his major and incentive to return to WWE instead of TNA. But also he did. He did go like, hey, TNA offered me this. And maybe he did that as a courtesy call. He's like, hey, I'm going to TNA. They offered me this. And then Vince is like, no, 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 no. Here, have this instead. And he's like, oh, fine. Have everything. But he did ultimately, he did call Vince. Yeah. Though based on the Wrestling Observer's statement of events, I, I would believe the conversation with Vince is what convinced him more than anything. Because Dave says, McMahon wasn't happy and the two had a lengthy conversation with McMahon being persuasive, noting he considered WWE as Foley's home and that McMahon changed the perception of what he considered a wrestling star to look like, which set the table of Fo- for Foley's career taking off. And it was also noted that WWE was the more stable organization as there's no guarantee TNA will be around. And then after several phone calls with McMahon, Foley called Jarrett, who was doing the bulk of negotiating, and told him he was going back to WWE. So it sounds like, for as much as they offered creative control and money, Vince also blew a whole bunch of smoke up Foley's ass. <laughs> Um, Vince McMahon is one of the greatest at jacking someone off. These people have such a weird relationship with Vince. Where, like, because wrestling is such, like, an island of misfit toys kind of collective group, Vince has Mm -hmm. become a father figure for so many of these people. And that is an abusive relationship, no matter what. Yeah. You, like, if it was just money and creative control, it would be way more understanding, but it's like this weird parasocial dynamic that they have with them. They all need its approval. They all need Papa Vince's approval. They just need the head pats from Papa Vince. Well, that's the same reason 85% of these people still defend him after his heinous, heinous crimes. That's true. <laughs> that is sadly true. Speaking of heinous, heinous crimes, BG James recently signed a three-year deal with TNA. <laughs> That is a heinous crime. It's a heinous segue. He will be featured prominently on TNA Impact on Spike TV as a wrestler with a recent WWE star power to add mainstream credibility to TNA. Okay. You know the way Dave was given out? It's like Jeff Hardy, yesterday's news, nobody cares. Yeah. That's actually true of BG James. Yeah. There is like a little juice in a New Age Outlaws reunion. Sure. But they're shit. So it's bad and there's not a lot of juice in it. Well, at least BG James shows up to pay-per-view. Mm. James told the Wrestling Weekly radio show that he's content with his new contract and pay, but also said, I'm kind of coasting. James said the plan was to reunite him and Kiff and reform the New Age Outlaws, but TNA scrapped the idea at first because they couldn't get the rights to the tag team name. Well, you know, I mean, I'm kind of like, it's. Uh, I'll give it like a 3 out of 10 on the interest scale. That's better than nothing. Yeah. Which I think is BG James's catchphrase. I'm better than nothing. <laughs> It's perfect. Former WWE wrestler Gail Kim signed with TNA yes. last week. Uh, Dixie yes. said, We are extremely excited to have Gail Kim join our organization, said Dixie Carter, president of TNA Wrestling, in a prepared statement issued to PW Torch. 
Gail is not only an accomplished athlete, but a bona fide international star. We look forward to introducing our latest TNA knockout on one of our upcoming Impact programs that debuts on Spike TV on October 1st. So the best women's wrestler in the history of the company, and one of the best... Best women's wrestler in North America. She sure is up there. TNA knockout. They are using that branding at this stage, which ties in with, like, Slam and Saturday Nights and the Spike TV and the UFC stuff, like the, the TNA uh, knockouts. I get it. That all, like, ties together, but... I never got that until right now. It's a dual meaning, because they hit people and they're attractive. Yes, they are a knockout, as you would say. They are the the two pitch knockouts. It's a famous phrase. Very famous. Uh, but yeah, but yeah thank God. <laughs> of course, let's do it. There is only one other woman on these shows at the moment. It's Tracy. Yes, but you know, as we know through history, the knockouts became a major selling selling point for what differentiated WWE's programming from TNA's programming. So, getting Gail in, one of the people who you know exemplifies that. Is a, is the start of it, and not only exemplifies it, who actively petitioned for and like pestered for and campaigned for until it happened. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't the case that's like we'll bring in Gail and start a women's division. They're like we'll bring in Gail and we want more women on the show. They bring in Jackie Gata as well. Like they do actively want more women on the show, but it doesn't become a real division until Gail like actively campaigns for it for another two years, and then you know continues to this day being a part of it. Yeah, she is the best women's wrestler in the history of the company. She is the, like, face of the Knockouts division, probably still to this day in a lot of ways. Like, Mm -hmm. she still carries that banner forward into the future. Uh, This is, uh, again, we're talking about, like, monumental times in TNA history. This is, would Gail be, like, a top five most important signing in TNA history? I was literally just thinking that. Kurt's number one. Yeah. AJ. I guess. Well, like, just historically. Mm-hmm. Jeff Hardy or Jarrett <laughs> Hardy, I guess. But like, but like, like, like uh, maybe Sting three. I would put Sting ahead of Hardy because if you if you look at like if if Jeff Hardy never went to TNA ever, mm. would TNA be a lot worse off? I don't really think so. Mm. Yeah, it's it's probably Kurt, AJ, Sting, then maybe Gale, maybe Gale. Yeah, and then Orlando Jordan. <laughs> yeah, Orlando Jordan. <laughs> his come come scenes coming on himself sorry he comes on himself wow there's a segment in 2010 tna where he walks out with a a a bottle of white liquid and starts pouring it on himself what could it mean what could it mean and if you if you're doing our our mount rushmore of tna and you don't include gale cam you have the wrong mount rushmore of tna go off king tna will not tape programming immediately following the september 11th unbreakable pay-per-view the taping tv taping that would have occurred on september 13th to provide broadcasts on september 16 and 23 is no longer scheduled leaving tna without programming until the spike tv debut tna will hold its next television taping on september 27th to tape the first two episodes for spike and they will tape every second week going forward Mm-hmm. good work they'll also not continue airing programming on its website this is the, it's the end of the internet era Okay, <laughs> I have no strong opinions about that. There are some best of in syndication for the last few Fridays, but yeah, it's that's the 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 real player era. The Utor era is over. <laughs> Not for me. That's true. <laughs> How else would you watch it? I guess. Yeah, it, it's it's always an internet era to us. 
It's the internet wrestling community after all. Samoa Joe told Bill Banks of TNAWrestling.com that he chose TNA over WWE because he didn't fit WWE's laundry list of qualities while TNA offered him an opportunity to wrestle his style. I felt the only reason they wanted to offer me anything was to have me sit on the sidelines instead of becoming competition in TNA, Joe said. That's fine, but I wanted to wrestle. There's a way I like to wrestle and do things in the ring. I'd rather do it for TNA and be happy instead of somewhere else miserable. Perfect. And speaking of Joe, his Bound for Glory opponent, Jushin Liger, is advertised for the October 23 Bound for Glory pay-per-view. No opponent has been named. It's Samoa Joe. And it's not disappointing. <laughs> it's still a pretty good show. I mean, it's cool, but like, it's not what you have, what it could have been. Yeah, it's eight minutes. And I think it's, it, it ended up being that short because of like miscommunication. I believe it was a story at the time that they were meant to go longer, but... Uh, Jerry Lynn was backstage at the TNA pay-per-view working as an agent, but plans for in-ring wrestling have been derailed after Waltman no-showed Unbreakable. <laughs> so they were meant to go back to that program naturally based on the angle they shot at the last pay-per-view, but they they didn't because Waltman Waltmaned it. He Waltmaned it up. We talked about TNA having a little trial with Eurosport uh, earlier in the year. TNA signed a one-year contract with Eurosport, basically Europe's version of ESPN. The station reaches f- 54 countries in Europe and the Middle East, but is strongest in the UK, Scandinavia, France, Spain, Italy, Portugal, Poland and Greece. Wow, TNA's going worldwide. Which is your favorite country in that group? Hmm. I'm a Spain guy. Big fan of the Spaniards. Here comes the Spain. You gonna go to Spain sometime? <laughs> 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 Mr. I'm professional. Mr. No more bits. <laughs> and then he drops the phrase. Here comes the spade <laughs> in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> you haven't taken a mid-podcast break yet, okay? He can't take you anywhere. He won't give you the Dixie impression, but he'll give you here comes the spade. I'm a new man. <laughs> TNA are test marketing the idea of doing house shows as well as the idea of doing a Canadian house show tour with a September 15th show <laughs> in Windsor, Ontario. bring CM Punk. <laughs> Promoted by Scott Demore. Listen, they'll do very well in Hamilton, Ontario with CM Punk. <laughs> Demore's last show drew a sellout of 1900 fans, but that was largely due to Bret Hart doing a Hart Foundation reunion with Jimmy Hyde, Jimmy Neidhart and Jimmy Hart. The main matches are Raven oh, no. versus no. Jeff Jarrett no. for the NWA World Everweight title. I know what that is. I wonder could anything happen with that particular I know match. what that is. Wonder what could be going on there. I saw the top 50 TNA moments. I know what that is, Garrett. Real weird that they're doing the Jarrett Raven match everyone's been waiting for on a Scott Demore house show. I wonder what what's going on there. Oh, it's just for the live fans. Christopher Daniels versus Chris Saban for the X title. Oh, I love AMW. They would never betray me in any way. Yeah, in a best of five US versus Canada series, there are four of the matches being Rude versus Abyss, PD versus Jerry Lynn, AOM versus Rhino, and Giant Divine and Eric Young versus America's Most Wanted. Interesting. They're working that show too, huh? What? Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, God. No. I know. <laughs> News notes preceding unfortunate events, I believe, is what you call this. <laughs> Uh, fuck. Um, is that, is the footage of that whole show available? I haven't looked for it. I know the footage of the title change is available. Not that there would ever be a title change on this show. (laughs) I sent Scott Demore a DM, see if we can get it. (laughs) I'm sure, like, they did shoot all those BCW shows, so I'm sure it's somewhere. Well, we're gonna find that out. I think we need to review it as the only and the best TNA history pod. 
Judd Duty. You don't want to see A1 versus Rhino? I do. I do want to see that match. Exactly. So we have to we have to go out of, go out of our way for it. All right, that is the news. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That brings us to broad topics for the month, starting with arguably the most famous match in Tina history. That's right. Rhino and Raven. No, the X Division Championship match at Unbreakable 2005. Oh, yeah. I remember that one. As Christopher Daniels defends the X Division title against AJ Styles and Samoa Joe. So, I guess heading into this, mm. let's just let's just hit it off the bat. Garrett, is this the best match in TNA history? No. Wow, why do you hate it? You know what my sneaky hot take has always been? That the sequel is better? Well, there's been multiple sequels, but yes, the Turning Point 2009 match is better. Why? Sell me and the fans on it. Without going too deep into this match itself, I think the first half of this match is an all-timer, uh-huh. and then the second half is pretty good. Not pretty good. It's very good. I don't think I noticed the particular drop-off, but I don't know. I I think the turning point is more consistent. Interesting. Well, in seven years when we cover it, (laughs) I'll let you know. (laughs) You will definitely remember everything we talked about. Of course. I'm a professional now. There is a surprising lack of build to this match. It's just kind of like... For the month, you know it's going to happen. And it, it's the classic TNA thing where like most of the build was actually done coming out of the pay-per-view match last time. Mm-hmm. Where Daniels interfered in the Super X Cup final and cost AJ the match. The match was meant to be Joe against Daniels, AJ gets added. That's basically the entire build. Do you think there's not as much build as you may think because AJ was hurt? Uh, probably. They probably had to scrap some segments. And also, it feels a little like the same thing happened with Triple X AMW heading into the Turning Point match. Where it's like, there was a surprising lack of build to this match. And uh, it's the same thing it's like yeah the match is built yeah you don't really need to do a whole lot we don't really need to do angles to sell you on styles daniels joe no i mean i don't know i don't think you do joe's an interesting one for me because like i don't think you need to do a lot for joe but he is still very new Mm. so it's like but he still looks great i don't know it's a weird one joe's an interesting sort of case study for a built wrestler to a main event of a pay-per-view where it's just like you can just put joe in there and people just kind of get it yeah i guess so because like i was talking about this in the watch along where it's i didn't i don't actually think like the joe build has been like crazy like the like the push itself he's just kind of doing his thing but, like, because he's a generational talent, that just seems to be enough. Like, they do have a beat everybody. Yeah, like, he beats everybody, but, like, like, like you would, you brought up, it's like, it's not like he came in and just killed the world champion, you know what I mean? Mm. They, like, they just sort of did a gradual reserved push, maybe is the word I'm looking for. Yeah, like, the, bringing him into the exhibition was both, I think, the correct choice for the kind of wrestler he is, and actually, like, if he was a wrestling raven at the moment, I think it would be a lot rougher. Mm-hmm. But bringing him in so he can wrestle Sanjay, he can wrestle Shelly, he can wrestle Saban, he can wrestle Red, he can wrestle Shark Boy, and he can wrestle then AJ and Daniels, he's starting to ramp up. But so he can come in, wrestle good matches against good wrestlers, and also look like Samoa Joe. It's They've done a such good, a good job of introducing him, even if they, I, I think, somewhat didn't intend to, because as we talked about there was some skepticism about how good Samoa Joe could even be until that Chris Saban match when he became undeniable yeah do you think that a part of it was them trying to get him over as 
a really great worker as well as a monster, because if they wanted to bring him in just as this unbeatable monster, you, know, you would have thought he would have gone into like a heavyweight style feud. And we have always talked about how he sells more than he probably should. But that's kind of the magic of Joe, isn't it? But I, I think it lends credence to the idea that they're they're more interested in having great matches necessarily than being like yeah. Goldberg. Yeah, because like yeah, if you if they were doing like a straight up monster push, he wouldn't be selling shit and he would just kill people. But that's I think maybe that's the biggest realization I've had about the initial Joe push watching it is that he's not actually meant to be some unbeatable monster. He's just meant to be a really great professional wrestler. Yeah, like I know I was reading the torch and they were giving out because in the sacrifice match styles the the, the torture rack bomb. Mm-hmm. And they were like, AJ shouldn't lift Joe, but like, that's not Joe. Yeah, I think maybe that's, maybe that is the disconnect. And maybe that's what I was feeling until I kind of talked it out and worked it out. But yeah, he's he's not supposed to be a monster. He's a professional wrestler who happens to be really good and beats everyone. And we kind of had the same talking point talking about Abyss. Mm-hmm. But Abyss is meant to be a monster. I think maybe that's the difference. Yeah, and that is the difference. Like, Abyss does sell too much. Abyss is too generous with everybody. He's bumping way too much for these guys. Mm-hmm. But also, it, it it leads to great matches. Yeah, it makes Abyss a better wrestler, though probably does put a, an undue strain on his body for a man that size to be bumping the amount he did. But yeah, Joe just comes in and has great matches. And I do think they, like, you see, the second they had that, he had that Saban match, he goes straight into AJ, he goes straight into Daniels and Joe, or Daniels and AJ. So I do think they're like, all right, let's get cooking with this guy after that Saban match. Mm-hmm. I'm curious if, like, the, like, when he starts murdering people and takes, like, does the blood stick, if that's, like, uh, kind of a, a deviation from what they're doing now and that is to sort of make him more of a killer. And I think more of a heel as much as anything because mm. they're probably a little worried that this dude who's awesome and kills people and wins clean probably might get cheered. Yeah, but like he kind of already is. Like I don't, I've never, maybe I'm misreading it, but like I've never really bought him as a heel this entire run. He's just a badass. But he is, he's definitely a heel. Yeah, but like he's not doing cartoonishly heel things, I guess. Which again is probably why he starts actively killing people toward the end of the year. <laughs> mm, that, that makes sense. Yeah, because I don't know, like he's a heel, but he's not like a heel, <laughs> if you get what I mean. But have you considered how he disrespected Shane Douglas? I thought that was a babyface move to me. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Ooh, franchise, shut the fuck up, Shane. Sh- should have been Joe versus franchise. Get this Jushin Thunder Liger guy out of here. Joe versus franchise might have been a better match in the end. No, it wouldn't. Then you can do, then you can do Liger AJ. <laughs> uh, so the build of this starts on the August 19th impact. First impact of the pay-per-view cycle. Samoa Joe faces Jarrell Clark. Uh, four stars. <laughs> you did give this match four stars. So let, t- let-, let you take this one away. All right, so I was riding a high off of Bin Door. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wrestling rules, and I love pro wrestling. And we were talking about how you were worried that was going to skew me the other direction as I watched TNA. But it started with Samoa Joe. So I was like, yeah, let's go. And then he just, like, he just kills him. He just, like, he just beats him up. And, like, Jarrell doesn't get shit. When Jarrell came out, I was like, oh, dead man walking. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> he's smiling and he's happy. And I'm like, you're going to die. <laughs> why, are you, why are you excited? <laughs> My favorite part is Jarrell does get a little flurry of offense and then goes for a moonsault and Joe just walks away. It's like, yeah, get fucked. He did the Joe thing. Yeah, this is like a Joe best of the hits thing, which isn't bad because it's Samoa Joe. And like Jarrell does a dive uh, off the top rope and Joe just catches him with the SG Joe in midair. The SD Joe is my favorite Joe move. Oh, it rocks. And Joe wins. Muscle Buster cooking a clutch. Again, overkill on killing poor Jarrell Clark here. But it's establishing two finishes, mm. which is cool too. And Tanae did note at the very start of the show that the Unbreakable Exhibition title match will be the famous Daniels and Joe Exhibition title match. Yeah, that's what we're all here for. That famous five-star Joe Daniels Exhibition title match. So after the match, Daniels attacks with the X title. He hits Joe once. Joe's like, 
like, what? He gets Joe again. Joe is still like, what? <laughs> There's law here too, because they're like, ah, to the back, it doesn't work. What if I tried the jaw? Hmm. Ah. AJ shows up and brawls with Daniels. Then Joe accidentally clotheslines Daniels as Styles steps out of the way and then drop kicks both out of the ring. And aha, now we have a three-way. We do have a three-way because on the next show, Chris Daniels shows up in Larry Zabisco's office. Larry Zabisco's a busy boy. Franchise has Zabisco and he's like, Larry, you're doing such a great job. It's going great here. And Larry's like, listen, I inherited a mess from the previous administration. <laughs> so I'm cleaning up all of Dusty's problems. I was going to say, like, this is still going back to apparently Zabisco and Dusty Heat when they were both there at the same time. Dusty hasn't been here for three months at this stage. And Larry is still throwing elbows. It's like, hey, man, if, if the show's not running smoothly, it's your fault at this point. <laughs> So Larry makes an, uh, the tag title match for the paper, which is AMW Team Canada Naturals versus the winner of the Chris Candido tournament. We'll talk about all that in a sec. Uh, before Chris Daniels walks in and he's not happy. He's like, I'm facing Samoa Joe, but at all times, I gotta look over my shoulder because this AJ Styles guy's coming after me. Larry, you should do something about it. You should suspend him. You should take him down to the basement and chain him to a radiator. I don't care what you do. You should just keep AJ away from me. I can't do that. Abyss is down there. <laughs> Have you not seen the spooky red room him and James Mitchell hang out in? I'm not going to put AJ there. They hate each other, famously. Mm. Two men cannot be chained to the same radiator. This is ridiculous. I like the implication that Abyss is constantly chained to the radiator. That's where James Mitchell leaves him. With like a little bowl of water and... <laughs> it makes him feel at home in like his uh, asylum here, a little cage. It makes him like, oh, it's it, memories of home. It makes him feel home for when he's locked in for Monster's Ball. And yeah, Kid Cash is also there abusing him. He doesn't work here anymore, but he's just oh. shouting at Abyss. And Goldilocks is down there too. <laughs> yeah, all of the lost TNA acts are down in that basement with Abyss. That's actually what drives Abyss crazy. Uh, Larry's like, you know what? You raise a good point, Chris Daniels. You shouldn't have to look over your shoulder at AJ at all times. You can see him right in front of you. Because at the pay-per-view, it's actually going to be a three-way. Styles, Daniels, Joe. Daniels is like, oh, what a what? I always like that heel routine where it's like, comes in, tries to manipulate his way into getting what he wants, but actually accidentally talks himself into something worse. Yeah, it's um when like cowardly heels actually show us. It mm. works. It's good stuff. And Daniels faced Shark Boy on the September 2nd impact. And boy, did he struggle. Uh, he did. Sharkboy is a very potent force. <laughs> Until next week. You know what the strangest thing about this match? It's not the fact that Sharkboy won. Mm -hmm. It's that Daniels let him kick out of the BME. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's... <laughs> the story isn't like... Only just like, oh, you know, Sharkboy gets an upset win over the Exhibition Champion. The story is, Daniels actually had a hard time putting him away even before that. <laughs> yeah, before AJ comes out, distracts Daniels, Sharkboy gets a cradle to win. Sharkboy kicks out of the BME. I'm like, what's going on? Yeah, Sharkboy should have been added to the three-way. Yeah, the famous Styles-Daniels-Joe-Sharkboy four-way. Five-star match. Dave Meltzer's famous Sharkboy five-star match. Everyone knows about it. Yeah, everyone used to have that bit where it's like, Brian Danielson doesn't have a five-star match, but Sharkboy does. Yeah, him and Horace Hogan showing up Brian Danielson. Uh, Daniels did have a loose cover on the BME, but still, he kicked out of a BME. And like, Daniels wasn't even like pissy about it. He was just like, all right, Sharkboy. <laughs> yeah, AJ does cost Daniels the match and Daniels is very mad. Uh, which brings us he should be now he has to deal with three people next week go home show Samoa Joe faces Sharkboy and he murders him in like 30 seconds <laughs> he just absolutely runs through him it's so like I, I I love this bit where it's like Sharkboy not only does he beat Daniels yeah he, he gets like it, it's it's not 50 50 but it's like he, he gets some stuff and then Joe kills him and there's not even a, like not even a discussion I see Joe was wearing his black and white tights for this match so you know he meant business. I did notice that. Boy. It's like, that's respect right there. 
That is a man who respects Shark Boy. Should have wore his blue. So Joe kills That'll him. That'll be them teaming. <laughs> that would be a good team. They'd have good matches. What would the team name be? Um, what's the name of the clown from Twisted Metal? Um. Oh he, no, he's playing the shark in Justice League, isn't he? Oh yeah. So it would be just like Killer Shark. It's King, King or King Shark. 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 King Boy. Yeah. King Boy. Well, if we ever get a King Boy tag match or Boy Shark. Boy Shark. I forgot he was playing the, the the doing the voice of that in the game. Yeah. Um So Joe making big pop culture moves. Yeah, he should leave wrestling. He should just become a cool guy. No, he's just getting good again. Don't do don't say that. Joe, retire. It's fine. You don't no. need to wrestle CM Punk. Fuck off. Go go to Hollywood. <laughs> no. At, at probably what? Like all in? You're probably gonna see Wrestling Punk, Punk living in the past. You don't need to do that again. You've done that before. <laughs> you, you beat you him every time. <laughs> You're talking your way out of Punk Joe life. Yeah. Joe can go live his best life playing sharks and or clowns. What about clown sharks? Is there such a thing? In my nightmares. Daniels also did a, a real great go-home promo on the show. Oh, this is like maybe the best Daniels promo I've ever heard. And like for Impact backstage promos, a lot of the time they serve one of two purposes. One being none at all. Or two being like just, you know, just quickly make a match for the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. They very rarely are like promos where guys are going to like sell a match. Yeah. Well, this is this is a talk you in the building style promo. Yeah, this is like you get three minutes go for it sell this pay-per-view match and daniel's damn well sold it so he's like with spike tv coming up this is the most important moment in tna history and when you look to faces of the brand you don't look at that guitar trickster jeff jarrett or that evil maniacal raven you look at like the professionalism and the 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 technique of christopher daniels and he will not be denied he will not be deterred his desire his will his spirit will prove september 11th on pay-per-view unbreakable that's the gospel it is the gospel according to the fallen angel yeah so yeah daniels this run fair play to daniels like the run comes to an end he is the longest reigning exhibition champion up until this point is this the best daniels run it's probably like definitely as a character like he's been awesome mm. on commentary he was awesome in the aj feud just being like a little bitch to aj he's carried the title as like a main event heel in a way that nobody ever has with that belt like aj's been a main event babyface with that belt but you've never had a main event mm-hmm. heel like sabin cash uh michael shane they never felt like top guys with that belt whereas daniels did Mm-hmm. It's a great run. It's a great one run with the belt. Him on commentary every week has just been a joy. It's like fair play to this Chris Daniels run. And it's a shame most of it happened while they weren't on television. But <laughs> yeah, he never got a chance to do it with Spike. He did some absolutely fantastic work here in this run. Great go home promo, sells the pay per view, and like willing to lose the Shark Boy. That's another thing where it's like there's a lot of guys who might not be like, I'm not losing the Shark Boy, come on. Or is he like, no, I'm a heel, I'm going to show ass, I'm going to lose the Shark Boy. Yeah, it's um, been a hell of a run, and it's capped off with a hell of a match. Yeah, good title reign, and especially when your your title reign ends with what many people call the best match in company history, and what Dave Meltzer ends up calling one of the best matches in North America over like the last five years. (laughs) You've done pretty well there. Mm. So the main event, Unbreakable, on September 11th live on pay-per-view in 2005, AJ Styles defeats Christopher Daniels and Samoa Joe to win the exhibition title. So like, again, like first thing you just mentioned there, the main event, main eventing over Raven and Rhino. Yeah, we were talking about a lot in the watch-along about how like, Raven and Rhino's not a weak match. 
No, it's one of the stronger main events I've had for a pay-per-view. A lot of the time when you see a match main event over the world title match, it's often because the world title match isn't great. Mm -hmm. It's like a lot of the time it's like it's a pillars four-way we can main event with anarchy in the arena, you know? It's Tanahashi and MJF. Mm. So a lot of the time you can, um, it's just kind of an element that like the world world title match isn't the most important match this month. As opposed to here where like it's it's Raven's last title match, as we'll find out soon enough. Oh, I'm sh- no, you don't know that. And also, I'm sure there's a part of it too that Raven's like, we can't go after these guys. I think there's there's an acknowledgement of that. But even then, like they're doing plunder and shopping carts and blood. So they, if might- anything, that might have been the one style of match that could have gone past this. Like there there was a big critique of the match placement for Forbidden Door that people like Osprey and Omega did plunder and blood and all the every move under the sun should that have gone on last? Not because it's the biggest match, but it's because it's the match that is, I suppose the most emotionally draining uh, but the, they ended up going on uh, a third to last and then the second to last match died a death and then unfortunately the last match died a little bit of a death but <laughs> throwing a lot of shots at Danielson and Okada on the show you hate Danielson and Okada I just do. admit it terrible match gentlemen's three but yeah it, it, it wasn't a foregone conclusion for these guys the main event it, it, was, it was a call a call that was apparently made by Jeff Jarrett the night before the show alright Jeffrey and listen, you're back on my good side. Don't do anything drastic now. I, I think it was basically on the belief that, like, Raven and Rhino can't really follow that. Yeah. So that should go on last. And it's also, like, it's the biggest match. Based on Joe's performances this year, based on AJ's performances this year, and based on Daniel's performances this year, they earned that main event. It's not a thing just given to them. No. Like, it's 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 more a pleasant surprise than an acknowledgement of it, like... Of like of being like oh wow I can't believe it's the main event it's just like oh I'm glad it got its spot so then they had the match yeah um I mean I think everyone's seen this match it is like it's the TNA match it's the most famous match in TNA history it is the match when you think of what's the what's a great TNA match this will be the match literally everybody says made Will Ospreay want to be a pro wrestler yeah so it has like long standing influence it, 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 it is the TNA match this is it Styles Daniels Joe a match that kind of I think put these three on the map as headline guys as well at least on a national level mm-hmm. that like this is the match that kind of elevated all three of these guys kind of above the X division quote unquote honestly it elevated the X division above the X division this is one of those matches that probably lifted the X division to being on like the level of being a main event title even when like that's not necessarily maintained after this after those guys leave the division to do other things but like this yeah. is this is the belt in this company now and there is no question about that yeah i think that's been a um, sort of the the larger point that's coming out of this match is that you think now the x division feels like the x division that everyone sort of knows and loves at this point like this is what would become the defining feature of this company and you know it comes from this really great match where they like i don't know i don't i don't want to go through and be like here are all the spots that happened but it's it's just insane all these three they have great chemistry with each other i think they even just like the sort of one-on-one interactions in here all fit perfectly it doesn't feel like sort of the tired three-way formula that you see it's at a million miles an hour and like no one comes out of it looking bad it's just it's just one of those damn great pro wrestling matches and i'm gonna pose the question to you i know the answer i'm doing it for the people garrett this is a five-star match in Dave Meltzer's book. Is it a five-star match in yours? Four and a half. I'm the same. 
which is a very top tier. It would be a match of the year candidate in that in that particular year. Uh, five star matches are feelings. I always say that they're not they're not a, an analytical thing. If you're thinking is it a five star match, it's not. Five star matches are an emotional response to something. Like uh, I, I, I just like if you have to think for a single second, is it a five star match? It's not because like you should come out, you should feel it in your bones when it's a five star match. Yeah. You should come out of that match being like fucking five stars, not a single solitary doubt about it. This is just like a an awesome match. As he said, it it's, uh, upends the three way formula of which uh, literally every on earth used which is the the two in one out thing where there's always a guy on the floor whereas these dudes are doing a bunch of three-way spots my favorite which is daniel's whip styles into the corner uh, sorry joe whip styles into the corner joe monkey or no joe whips daniel's into the corner joe monkey flips styles into nope. daniel's monkey flips styles into joe this is the terrible combinations do you want to start again like from the top from the top Hit it clean. You got this. I believe in you. So Joe whips Daniels into the corner. Daniels monkey flips Styles over into Joe, who then ran as Joe. And then my favorite part of it, because Daniels did a monkey flip, he didn't actually see Styles hit the Rana. So Daniels just turns around and he's like, what the fuck? Why is Joe on the floor too? This makes no sense. <laughs> what has even happened behind my back? I love that little touch because obviously he knows what happened. They put the match together. But he's a little touch that he sells. It's like, what on earth just went on? Yeah, he's like, I just heard bangs and I don't know what happened. And I think they're, they're like that's what kind of helps elevate this match that I think these three have such well-defined characters that AJ is like your like white meat, clean baby face, face of the brand, kind of fight till the death kind of guy. Joe's your unstoppable monster who will just run through everybody in front of him and keep going until they're dead. And then Daniels is this like smug, conceited heel. Like the, the first exchange of this match is like they ter- take turns uh, kicking Daniels. Daniel stands up, screams, stop kicking me in their face. And then they kick them, they both kick him at the same time. Like, there, mm-hmm. there's just a bunch of little character stuff in this match that kind of elevates it above dudes doing moves. I think Daniels is the glue in this match. Yeah, and, like, Daniels ultimately is the least famous of the three. Like, Joe and Styles, I think, have always gone on to more acclaim and have been bigger stars than Daniels ultimately end up being. I Like, unequivocally. Unequivocally? Unequivocally. <laughs> Do you want to take it from the top? You might be able to get it this time. I believe in Garrett, you. Can you say it for me and then I can say it? Unequivocally. Unequivocally. There you go, clean. Nailed it. Well done. And then Daniels is, is, it's the guy that just holds this together and brings like the flourishes and touches. And as you said, like Daniels is every three-way under the sun should probably be put together by Daniels. It's the same thing as like Christian's brain for the business. It's just like, like every ladder match in the world should be put together by Christian. Every three-way should be put together by Daniel. Yeah, I believe it. It's, yeah, the match, it rocks. It rocks on like all these sort of like little nuanced levels that you would expect from a match that has so much renown. It, um great and like just imagining like we talked about it before with like having the spike tv people at this show and then because this is a really good show as well this is just a great pay-per-view so having them at this show and they're like wow this and that and this and oh my god that hardcore match was really fun and blah 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 blah. and then to cap it all off with this they must have been like what a tremendous investment we've made (laughs) Yeah, because there is a note uh, from the torch. A group of officials from Spike TV were at the event in person and were said to be riveted by the match and the crowd response to the match. They were marking out for the show, says one TNA wrestler. Look at what they're used to seeing from WWE. That match blew away anything they had seen before. During the match, the crowd chanted, this is awesome. And the- Actually, my favorite part, the crowd chanted, this is awesome. And then Mike Tanay just says, you're damn right, this is awesome. <laughs> There's one thing I can always appreciate from Mike Janae is his pride in when things are good in the company he's representing. Oh, he fucking loves it. 
It also goes the other way, but when it's good and he not acknowledges that it's good, it, like the pride is absolutely dripping off of the man. Yeah, like there's a there's a spiral tap in this match that's just to break up a, a submission, which is like done perfectly too. They do a bunch of cool dives. Styles does a springboard shooting star to the floor. Joe does a core screw plancho, which the crowd go absolutely oh, bonkers for. Murders himself. Daniels brings the X title into the ring and he's like, "Let me try this again." But Joe power slams him, takes it from him. But Dan Daniels enziguries it into his head, which is his weak point apparently. Mm-hmm. Back super strong head very weak breaking the Samoan stereotypes in pro wrestling <laughs> yeah Joe was breaking bar- barriers all over the place uh, Styles and Styles clash Joe broke it up I, one, again one of my favorite little things but like Daniels dumped Styles over the top of the floor and most people would take a normal bump they would just go over the top of the floor Styles takes the most ridiculous bump you'll see for that in your entire life it's like you stupid crazy person there's a person. full rotation onto his face <laughs> yeah it's just like you did not need to do that for what is ultimately a run-of-the-mill pro wrestling bump but he's AJ Styles so of course he did he's also main eventing the pay-per-view so I'm sure a bit of that is in there mm. uh, Joe crashes and burns to the outside which leaves just Styles and Daniels uh, Daniels goes for the Angels wings Styles reverses it to a, uh, reverses it into a pin goes overhead uh, Daniels is pinned AJ Styles is the X Division champion for a fifth time and Mike Denae of course makes note that Samojo is still undefeated he was not pinned or submitted on a technicality sure and Tanae ends the pay-per-view just saying can we top this we're gonna do our damnedest when we return on October 23rd at Bound for Glory that's a great line that's the, that's it it's the most famous match in TNA history it lives up to the hype it's a match that's aged pretty darn well because it has Joe during the peak of his powers as a performer AJ during the peak of his powers as a performer and probably honestly even Daniels during the peak of his powers as a performer it's three guys like peaking at the same time put in a main event spot looking to like prove and earn it it's like yeah damn right we we belong here and being three people presented at that level too and delivering at that level mm. and like I said this is, this is the only five star match in in history that's wrong it is wrong for multiple reasons <laughs> but uh dave does call it one of the best matches in, uh, in of the last decade in north america yeah, i mean a lot of quantifiers there but sure like obviously it, it doesn't live up to like the best of japan because like you have fucking noah and all japan in the 90s and 2000s so yeah dave isn't gonna be like it's one of the best matches i've ever seen but like when and he you... doesn't watch ring of honor so <laughs> I wonder, does Dave this year watch much Ring of Honor? Well, uh, no, because, like, if you look back at all those shows, it's like, that's the whole thing is, like, those guys weren't getting ratings. Mm, Dave hates indie wrestling. If it happened PWG, those little guys would have a million five-star matches. Well, yeah, because he'd be at them. That really was the game-changer with Dave, wasn't it? He went to one PWG show and everything changed. Yeah, it ruined his reception for wrestling. <laughs> But, like, in a charmingly good way. Sure. Because, like, most people get grumpier as they get older. Yeah. Not that I would have any experience with that. No. Old three-star kidney. Like, Dave has gotten, like, the, the, the very opposite, where he's gotten very fast and loose, and he's just loving wrestling, which is kind of nice to see. Yeah. Daniels, in particular, was holding back the tears after the show, after it went off the air. While Storyline was, it could be that he lost his title, it was really because of the emotion when the show cut off without getting the full impact of the live crowd, live crowd chanting match of the year because they ran out of time. <laughs> so that is AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Samoa Joe. We'll be talking about those guys for a while. Yeah, those, those guys are pretty integral to the history of this company, I hear. Yeah, both working together and individually, and as a tag team every so often. Right? Yeah, there is that whole run that you're, you're a big proponent of. Yeah, Stiles and Daniels are a great team. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not on the show. Yeah, for a different reason. Um, that is... Yeah, I, I'm trying to put a button on this match, and I'm failing. <laughs> like, like... 
I mean, we said it earlier, it is the most famous match in TNA history, one of the most influential matches in United States pro wrestling, mm. influenced the whole style, influenced the generation, with three generational performers performing at their best. What more could you want? Thank you for putting a button on it, Liam. Yep, I did it while taking my belt off too. What a professional. Oh no, are you going to whip me? <laughs> No. You're like, put a button on it. Put a button on it. Get your shit together, Garrett. We're professionals now. We have to compete with Brian Alvarez. You can't do it. I'll whip it into you. Yeah. That's why I made you retake that line seven times before. <laughs> we have standards now. We have a couple of other smaller stories in the X Division, one of which is Austin Aries versus Roderick Strong. Which is just a thing that happens. Yeah, no build. It was meant to be Aries against PD. But when Shocker no-showed, they moved PD to Saban and then brought in Strong for this. So, and actually, good job, Shocker. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, they gave us this. That's actually worked out pretty well. I appreciate that. Yeah, and we get to see Austin Aries again after appearing in the last pay-per-view against Daniels. Mm-hmm. Roderick Strong's done some TV. And yeah, he popped up every now and again in the Asylum days. He did a bunch of explosion, and yeah, he was on Impact. Mm-hmm. We've already had an AJ Strong match. Yes, I, I did my whole thing on that. <laughs> We may have another AJ Strong match coming up soon. Very good. Aries and Strong go out there and they work like an ROH match. Yeah, this is two dudes who got like eight minutes, but like, we're like, we want to use every second of this to try and earn a contract. Yeah, and I, you don't blame them. And they, they stand out. As Especially as TNA are getting on Spike. It's just like, oh, national exposure is coming up? Yes, please, please, please sign us. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly right. And you know, oh, you might have some more money for us too. Roddy's came out to a fake Iron Man ripoff? <laughs> of course. Like many a pro wrestler in history. Vote for Roddy. It's a Simpsons joke. I gotcha. It's a reference to the hit sitcom The Simpsons. I'm unfamiliar. Could you explain it a bit more? So there's this family of yellow people. <laughs> okay. Who live together in a house. Yep. And every episode is independent of one another. There is no long-term right. canon. It's like an anthology show when you think about it. So mm-hmm. these people live in this house. There's this mother with the hair. Hell we don't do bits anymore garrett oh it's, uh, it's a very famous sitcom starring homer simpson he says so don't oh very good <laughs> I, w- I would went for another like 15 minutes obscurely describing the simpsons that's but that's why i'm here now i'm the professional of the team getting us back on track yep don west uh, once again proving avid ring of honor watcher mm. pointing out that they are in the same stable yeah, as the crowd are chanting Generation X, Donna's like, oh, you know, they're stable mates in Ring of Honor. It's, I can't believe it, but it's it's really proven a point. Don West ROH Dan is a legitimate part of his character. Yeah, everyone's telling him how great it is, and he starts watching, and then he knows all about uh, the stories and the, the stables of Ring of Honor. You gotta admire it. Uh, Mike Tanae mentions that they booked Austin Aries again because TNA received so many emails about him that they brought him back. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. Just everyone emailing Dixie, being like, bring back Roddy. And Dixie's like, fine, I have a newborn at home, but I'll bring back Roddy. <laughs> yeah, we've been sitting here watching ROH tapes for the last seven hours. <laughs> Looking to who can poach so we can take down Ring of Honor because we're just... Strong hits a gutbuster mm. and a sick kick for a great near fall, but dropkick brainbuster 450 wins for Ares. It's about as good an eight-minute match as you're going to see. They just go nuts. It's funny, like, you'd think that Ares was just going to kind of get, like, an AJ push. But, like, I'd imagine he would probably lost this match if he was wrestling PD. Yeah. So he accidentally, like, tripped and fell his way into winning this one. But he just looks, he looks so good whenever he's on the show. You can see a future TNA world champion in him. In seven years. It just takes a while, yeah. (laughs) And, like, big gaps of not being there. 
I don't know. Ares is great. Like everything he does, this has snap and explosion on it. Everything he does. What 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 doesn't have snap and explosive mm. on it? All right. He doesn't tweet with snap. Hmm. You said everything he does. Yeah, it looks great. Hmm. Looks. That's a, Garrett Kidney supports Austin Aries in every endeavor. As a professional wrestler, he's good at wrestling. Like most problematic people, they're all good at wrestling. It's really annoying. Hmm. Hmm. That's not what I'm hearing. That does very much prepare you in life for separating art from artist. There's no industry that does that better than pro wrestling. <laughs> yeah. If you try to approach wrestling with any kind of moral or ethical compass, you're like, I hate all these people and I can't watch this anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's the same with like film, right? You're like, oh, if a bad person was involved in the production of a film, I can't watch it. Well, then you're never watching anything. Mm. It's like, I've come to terms with a number of pieces of shit who have talent. God, what a somber, somber reality. The other X Division thing, we'll talk about the story that technically led to it that didn't end up happening because it technically comes from the Chris Candido Memorial Tag Team Tournament. But Chris Saban faces Petey Williams. And they have a good Petey Williams Chris Saban match. Yep, they've had this match a couple times, the best version of which is probably still their Turning Point 2004 match. Oh, of, of course. But this is a, a nice mid card version of that match where at one stage Saban does that razor's edge across the ring into the buckle and absolutely kills Petey, so thumbs up. <sighs> So cool. Uh, PD came out to Abyss's music too. <laughs> yeah, maybe Abyss is just Canadian. Maybe he is. No, he's working as part of America and the America versus Canada uh, series on that house show, so he can't be Canadian. Maybe, maybe he's the Canadian in that match. He's wrestling Bobby Roode. Yeah, noted American. You're not wrong. He, he is billed from Wall Street eventually. No, you wonder. You're not wrong. Exactly. It all, we don't know where Abyss truly came from. We we speculated he was accidentally summoned by James Mitchell and, and Raven doing his fake spooks. He, he's summoned from hell via Canada. Which everyone knows is hell. Hell Michigan is right next to it. Oh my god, it all adds up! Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You make so much sense. Again, sometimes. we don't do bits anymore. It's all serious <laughs> analysis. This is, this is serious analysis. This is geography. This is lore. Which is a major part of pro wrestling now. Some would argue the most important part. On many levels and in many different ways. Saban brought Speedy up for the cradle shock. Speedy raked his eyes. Saban thought he had Petey when he grabbed the referee instead oh, I for love the cradle this. shock. I love this so much. This is so cool. Then Petey went for the destroyer, but then Saban instinctively countered into the cradle shock for the win. That's some, that's some New Japan shit. <laughs> Just in-ring storytelling lore. If you'd remember, in the build-up to the Turning Point match last year, the story of that match was because Chris Sabin came up with PD, trained under Demore, trained in the same training class, he had the counter to the Canadian Destroyer. We better go through TNA history, like, from this point where Saban never takes the Destroyer. Every time he just does, and it's such a smooth counter as well, because it's a counter straight into his own finish, which is what makes it awesome. God, Saban, man. He drops the one knee and brings PD back up for the Cradle Shock, it beats him even though he's blinded. Mm Mm-hmm. If we ever get booking power, we're booking PD Saban and that's the finish again. Yeah, we're bringing him out of WWE-induced agent retirement to wrestle Chris Saban again. What was PD's last match? His first retirement match was against Saban. That makes sense. The one in 2014 when he stepped away from wrestling, but then he returned. Uh, his last match, was it like TJP and Macklin? Let me have a look. Matches. Petey Williams. His last match was in a... Prim- well, do you want his last Impact match or do you want his last real match? Give me both. Um, his last Impact match was in the Call Your Shot Gauntlet Spot 20-man Battle Royal. 20-person Battle Royal, I assume. Mm. Because- but yes, he was in that. Um, his last real match in, in Impact 
was the X Division title tournament first round three-way match against Macklin and Black Tarus. And his last match ever was in Whack Without a Cause. Is that Eric Cannon's thing? I don't no, know. No, that's a different one. He was in Without a Cause and he wrestled Nick Wayne. He passed on all of his knowledge and retired. But the thing about Nick Wayne too, that's interesting because he's definitely an X Division kid, right? Oh, absolutely. So him wrestling against Petey must have been a cool moment. He was also 15. Also, it's one of those things where even if he wasn't an X Division kid... He was via Osprey. Yeah, uh, his inspiration was Osprey, who was an X Division kid. So it's like the, the next step of X Division influence, even beyond the X Division. Oh, that's a, this seems like a good show. You got, um, you got Alan Angel's Titus Alexander on there. Mm-hmm. You got Chris Bay versus Kata Murray. All he needs is one shot. All he needs is one shot. Oh, is that is that who I think? No, it's not. I'm not even going to talk about it anymore. I got someone mixed up. Move on. I'm a professional. I can't I can't be spreading lies. You're never wrong. It's a long-standing part. Is that mm-hmm. a bit? Is it a bit to be never no. wrong? No, it's reality. Okay. After the match, Matt Bentley returns to TNA. You might say returns. Gigantic he was never gone. reaction. <laughs> So Matt Bentley wasn't on TV this month, even though he was on the last pay-per-view. But mm-hmm. uh, Matt Bentley is back. He's back in TNA. He super kicked Chris Saban and then issued a challenge for Ultimate X at Bound for Glory. He got on the mic. He said, TNA's my home. Everyone thought I was going up north, but I'm still here. Up north still being a thing people say in 2005. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the uh, the Abyss one, where Abyss returned when he was never gone. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it gets big reactions. Yeah, and, like, the the story behind it was Matt Bentley asked for two and a half grand per match. Yeah. And TNA was like, uh, fuck no. Then he asked for 1500 a match, and TNA were also like, uh, still no, because even 1500 like, only Raven, Jarrett, Kip James, and Sean Waltman are making that kind of money in this company at the moment. Maybe AJ. Mm-hmm. So they're like, no. But apparently, they, well, whatever happened, he came to terms. That's funny. I wonder if that's... He got some talking to from his uh, cousin. His cousin's like, oh, we're not signing you. <laughs> Sorry. But, um, yeah, um, I'm excited to see Matt Bentley back. And we had some Bentley bouncing. Oh, the crowd were bouncing to Bentley's theme song. They were excited. Fair play about Bentley, though. Shoot your shot. Yeah, why not? And he got to stick around anyway, so... If you're going to ask for two and a half grand a match, the only way you'll get it is by asking. Even if people might laugh at you. Yeah. And you know what he, he heard that we got that spike deal coming up, and he's like, hmm... Uh, we'll talk about the, the Shocker matches in the uh, Chris Candido Memorial Tag Team Tournament, but this match was meant to be Saban against Shocker based off stuff coming out of that tournament. Uh, Shocker, who was said to have been unable to get to the TV taping from a AAA show in Cuadro. <laughs> in Cuadro. Nailed it. The company purchased a non-refundable plane ticket for him to come in from Mexico a few days before the show. He called and said being booked the night before, he was worried he might not be able to get there. Uh, the company was already down on Shocker. He was a dusty guy and they, he never really lived up to his hype. He had good matches with Shelly, but I don't think anything else he did was particularly notable. Actually, no, he had a great TV match with Sanjay too. So no, I'm yeah. Team Shocker. I'm Team Shocker too. I've enjoyed all of Shocker whenever he's been around. There was heat a few shows back because he called to cancel a pay-per-view match claiming an injury, uh, but the company was like, you were just wrestling on Mexico. But the Mexican sources mm-hmm. are like, that's legit, but he wants to work these shows and he doesn't want to work yours, so... <laughs> well, you know what, fair enough. Uh, it would have been both difficult and expensive to get him in for the show because of changing the flight, but it was possible, but they were just like, get Roddy in here, move PD over to Sabin, and then Roddy against uh, Austin Aries, and that job done. Easy peasy. It's cheaper to book Roddy than fly in Shocker. They're like, we're going to take that half of the money that Bentley wanted. We'll put it towards Roddy. 
let's head on over to the world title scene in which the main event, not of Unbreakable, the second last match of Unbreakable, is Raven defending the NWA World Heavyweight Championship against Rhino. Which is about a, as cool on paper as you can get at the moment for the world title. Yeah, fresh match, fresh challenger. It was immediately announced after the main event of Sacrifice, as you, if you remember. The whole thing about that was like, Jarrett would get a title match if he won, but then Rhino won. And everyone's like, well, what happened? But immediately on the website, they're like, match will be Raven against Rhino now. God, that's cool. It's a cool match, isn't it? Yeah, it goes back to they wrestled, I think, Backlash 2001. They acknowledge it during the build. It's like, we had the best hardcore match of all time. It's like an eight-minute match at Backlash. Yeah, I'm pretty sure, like... But, like, isn't it, like, a pretty highly regarded match? It has, like, over seven on Cage Match. Nice. So, Jeff Jarrett goes up to Larry Zbysko's office, and he's mad that Rhino's getting the unbreakable shot. He insists he will be champion by the time they get on Spike. That's never gonna happen. <laughs> How would that happen? But in order for that, he needs a title match, Liam. And how's he gonna get a title match? Uh, he's gonna ask Rhino very nicely. So that is the that is the what Larry says. He's like, listen, Rhino has the shot. If you can convince Rhino to give up the shot, you got the shot. Mm-hmm. So then Rhino conveniently walks right in frame that second. And Jared Jared does his pitch. He's like, buddy, you and me are pals, right? Buddies, we've been teaming. The thing going on here, I need to be champion on Spike. So how about you step aside? And when I win, you can get your shot then. Deal? 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 And Rhino's like, deal. You can get your shot after I win at Unbreakable. I like it, though. I think it, like, Rhino isn't a big dumb idiot. (laughs) Unlike a certain Monty Brown, Rhino's like, fuck you. Yeah. Because if you remember, Monty also was promised a title match, which he has yet to get. Well, Jarrett's not the champion anymore. If Rhino said that, it's like, you have promised this to people before and have not delivered. Yeah. Call him That's out. the thing, right? It's like, I mean, I like the idea that Jeff's going for his old tricks. It did work. It worked on Monty. So you know what? Yeah, it worked once. <laughs> Might as well try. I enjoyed this segment. I thought it was fun. Uh, later in that show, Rhino beats Sonny Siaki. I like the goal. I like the alley-oop into the turnbuckle. Rhino's good. Yeah, he's pulling shit out as well. Having a great time. I was, think- I was thinking about how crazy Rhino's career is. Mm. Just a weird guy. Like, he did his, like, weird little NXT run. Yeah. In, like, what what was it, 2014? The fact that his, like, most famous thing is probably the Heath team in 2016, which is weird to think yeah, about. Yeah, right. He did, like, four more years in WWE. And again, arguably had his most, like, famous act. It's just... And then, like, had ROH stuff all the time in the in between. He's, like, oddly enough, like, since... Since the beginning, he's basically just been in a major pro wrestling company er- like every year at least once. And pretty much all of them. Yeah. With the exception of AEW so far. So far. And a like, sneaky TNA guy, Rhino. I don't even think sneaky. It's, it's one of those things where like people get mad about Bully Ray. It's like, Bully Ray's a TNA guy. I'm sorry. He is. You know what he did in 2019? Rhino? Noah. Oh yeah, he did. He did some Noah shows, yeah. 2008? New Japan. Did some New Japan shows during the TNA relationship, yeah. So it's just like, what a, a guy who's kind of done everything everywhere. Had a good career for himself. Yeah. Current two-time tag champion with Heath and some bullshit company. It's a heavy shot at current impact, but sure. <laughs> He's not a current tag champion. <laughs> That's true. He did, he did lose them earlier this year. Or late last year? That was December. It's just like, what a, what a fun guy, huh? Yeah. Smackdown tag team champion in 2016. And just the guy you could slap in a mid-card match for nearly all of his career and he'd have a good mid-card match. It's just it's just fun. <laughs> Garrett, can you no, can you name every SmackDown tag title match he had? No. Let me let me tell you the teams he wrestled in the SmackDown tag team titles. I don't think I could name any SmackDown tag title match he had, never mind all of them. He was the first SmackDown tag team titles champion. Naturally. Which was an, an upset. The, 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 the people didn't expect him to win that, but they got over. Yeah, but uh, and because they bet uh, they beaked freshly heel 
Usos yeah. in the finals. And then they defended the titles against the Ascension. Mm. And then they defended the titles at no mercy against the Usos before defending the titles in one of the weirdest matches I've ever seen on paper. 2016 SmackDown. Heath Slater and Rhino defeat the Spirit Squad to retain the SmackDown tag team titles. I forgot when they dug the Spirit Squad up a little bit. Yeah, they did because they brought him in to team with Miz against Dolph. Mm. And then... Poor Kenny, like, quit his real-life job because he thought he was getting re-signed. And then they never re-signed them. He did a run as an agent, though, didn't he? I believe so. Is he still there as an agent? I have long since cancelled my Fightful Select subscription, so I don't see the WWE agents listed anymore, but... I guess I, should, I can go to his uh, his Wikipedia, I might tell. Yeah, he's a producer and trainer at WWE. Mm-hmm. So at least he has a job. But it was really, it was like, it was so funny that like, not funny, like, it's really sad actually. <laughs> You're laughing at his pain, it's hilarious. Yeah, like, they quit his job and then was stuck. Mm. Uh, as he said, finish of this match was awesome, where Siaki floated over in the corner and Rhino just followed him up with a gore and killed him. Yeah, it was a great gore. Uh, Rhino gets on the mic and he says, says he's going to gore Raven and make him bleed. Nobody will stop him from becoming world champion. Asks Raven to come out right now. Raven comes out, says, Gore me once, shame on you. Gore me twice, shame on me. Security break them up. And then he gets gored. He gets <laughs> gored immediately. It's so good. It's what, what a great bit. Because uh, like security were holding back Raven, but Rhino just gores him. It's a real shame that like the worst Raven's ever felt in this company is when he's world champion. Do you think he feels bad now? I don't... Yeah, I'm not into it. Because, I, I, like, you know, we've been very high on Raven since the moment he stepped in this company, right? Like, he, he, he was, like, a wrestler of the year, like, twice. <laughs> or in the discussion, at the very least. We were high on the Waltman match and, like, thought he, 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 like, peaked as well as he could going into Slammiversary, given the circumstances. Yeah, but, like, he's champion now, and I just think he's lost a lot of the coolness that he had. Mm-hmm. Part of it's the presentation. Part of it's, like, he feels a bit more like a dork now. And... Part of it is just, I don't think, it's the the gear doesn't help. Like, there's just something about Raven now, which isn't hitting on the same level that he has for almost his entire run up till this point. He is getting his ass kicked a lot because he's a babyface champion, so naturally a lot of people are getting heat on him at the moment. Yeah, it's just, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm kind of disappointed by the, the finally, like, Raven achieves the goal, becomes champion. And it's a bit of a wet fart. I think an element that also doesn't help is, shock of all shocks, Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. The fact that he's running around like as the almost presumptive champion before they even go into Spike kind of overshadows Raven. Yeah. There's elements to it, which it's just, it's a bit of a rough one. And I think if you wanted Raven as champion, he would probably be better off as a heel. Of course. But I thought he had a good reign in terms of matches. Like the Abyss match was good and the Rhino match was good. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's something about his general presentation, which I don't think is... Screaming star to the level it has up until this point. He's not really doing many promos either, is he? Like, here he just comes out, says one line, and gets gored. Yeah, that could be part of it too, is like, he's not getting a lot of talking time and it's Raven. Yeah, and like, the main event of the August 26th impact is Raven against Bobby Roode, and like, it's just a forgettably bland match. Yeah. The best part of which is Cebu shows up at the end. <laughs> A lot of uh, the best part of Impact is just Sabu shows up. Sabu is one of, like, he's the opposite of Raven, where it's like, anytime he's on the screen, it's like, hell yeah, Sabu is here. Sabu should be champion. There's just energy when Sabu is on the screen. Yeah. Uh, PD pushed Raven into the post on the floor. Ref got bumped. PD attacked the hockey stick, but Cassidy Riley made the save. Uh, Raven wins with the Raven effect. Rhino jumps Raven after the match. Raven gets the better of him. Abyss then jumps Raven. Lights out. Sabu. Sabu clears house. Mm-hmm. My favorite part after, like, there was a minute left on the show, so clearly something ran short, and they just held 
on Raven and Sabu celebrating for much longer than they usually do at the end of any match. Just, just hangs around. Yeah, they were just hanging out. They weren't even doing anything. Like, they're just kind of hanging around, high-fiving, being happy. They wanted that they ran off some people. <laughs> you gotta love their, like, support. And, you know, the the way this show is paced, it's like, it's always like, they, they never do that. Like, the, once the no, segment... No, it's always, like, hard out on, like, normally a brawl or something. And this one was just, hey, Sabu and Raven are here. hanging. And sometimes, like, mid-angle, it's like, hard out on Michael Shane about to super kick Tracy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But here's just like, oh, we'll hang around. It's very interesting and different. On the September 2nd impact, Jarrett comes up to the three live crew, up to BG and Ron. He's peddling his conspiracies. He's like, everybody's going to be fired. They're going to bring in, they're going to replace all of you you should all join me no one's falling for that trick Jarrett. he does at least raise a valid point that like the second they got back together they were forced to wrestle each other in a tournament it's like management's fucking with you i thought about that too it's like that's actually that's actually a good bit for a dude who's peddling conspiracies to be like look you guys are back on the same page for the first time in months and the first show after that you're booked to wrestle each other guys they're out to get you yeah um I mean, it make, yeah, exactly right. Like, I, I, I legitimately thought of that exact same point. I was like, damn it, he might be right. And, not, and to put, like, matters further, too, Conan and um, Kip James are a book to wrestle each other, too. So they're really just pouring salt so, into yeah, the world. management are out to take down the three live crew. Jared's right. I'm going to isolate that clip. <laughs> Jared is right? Yeah. I'll never say it again. You said it twice. That's all I need. No, you tricked me. <laughs> Uh, Conan walks up and he's like, fucking after all this, after all the Kip stuff, now you're talking to Jarrett? <laughs> Which is a great point too. Yeah, and BG and Ron are like, you know, he makes some sense. And Conan, once again, being the smartest person in the room at all times, is like, no, fuck that guy. Conan's kind of great. He's always like, just as I said, he's the smartest guy in the room. He sees through everybody's bullshit. He is the one true worker. <laughs> in a business full of marks. Main event franchise has, or main event of Go Home Show, that is. Franchise has Jarrett beforehand. He's, he doesn't do a particularly meaningful promo. When I said there's two kinds of promos, this is the first one where nothing is said and nothing matters. But he will be at Unbreakable, I guess, is the point of this one. Thanks, Jeff. God forbid we have a pay-per-view without him. Raven and Sabu versus Abyss and Rhino is the main event of the Go Home Show. Because both have single matches on the pay-per-view. Classic Garrett special. Again, there's people who would give out about stuff like this. And I'm like, no, I don't care. It's a cool tag match. Yeah, and um... It's an interesting tag match because you're like, ooh, who's going to win in this segment, right? It is the one where it's like, this is definitely going to end in a DQ, but it doesn't. No, it's just a, it's just a regular match. Like, Sabu starts chucking chairs at people during it, and that still doesn't end in a DQ. <laughs> I, I, when that happened, I was like, hmm? <laughs> I was like, did I miss this getting announced as, like, Raven's Rules or some shit? Every Raven match is Raven's Rules. Perfect. There are no laws. Right, Raven sidesteps a gore as Rhino accidentally gores Abyss and then Sabu falls with an Arabian face buster to pin Abyss. Which is not the result I expect. Who did you expect to get pinned? I think I expected Rhino to pin Sabu. That would have made sense. But I guess Sabu was then pinned at the pay-per-view so they're probably evening that out a little bit. Makes sense. Don't hate it. Just was not like the result I was when it happened. I was like, oh. And then they immediately got the hate back anyways. Yeah. Rhino goes Sabu. Abyss hits Raven with a chair a few times. And that's our show leading us to Unbreakable. I, I realize we also just talked about the entire build to the Sabu, so we'll talk about that match too here. <laughs> yeah, it works out well. Abyss defeats Sabu in an ODQ match. Uh, this match fucking owns. It is Abyss, who is great, against Sabu, who is great, in a plunder match, which is great. So we, we just gave Tina some credit about being restrained in their plunder and reserving it for Raven. <laughs> mm. They do not do that on this show. No. 
but it's better off because this match is better because of Thunder, so thumbs up. Yeah, this match rocks. Yeah, Sabu just kind of fucking works his ass off in this one, and Abyss is doing crazy bumps. They're like, they have, they actually have like this kind of remarkable chemistry together too while they're doing it. It's, it's a lot of fun. This is like one of those, when I, we finished watching it, I, I was like, this is one of those like hidden gems that I'm sure like not a lot of people remember or have seen, but like if you haven't, go back and watch it because it, it does rock. Because, like, their Baratoi Massacre match later in the year is naturally their more famous match. Mm-hmm. And even, like, the Monsters Ball at Bound for Glory, which has both of them in it, and also Jeff Hardy and Rhino, is a much more famous match. Mm-hmm. But this also rocks. Yeah, this also rocks. Maybe these two just are good together. <laughs> I mean, they do have good chemistry. It's one of those things. It's like, if you think about, like, what's basically the best case of an, uh, an Abyss and Sabu match? It's basically this. Yeah. They just go out. They do wacky plunder. Abyss does his, like, pendulum belly-to-belly from the inside to out sending a Sabu through two tables looked like it sucked he ate shit it's great the Abyssplex I'm coining that the Abyssplex because I was watching his uh, homecoming match against Eli Drake in 2019 yesterday and he did it to Eli Drake there too so (laughs) it is the Abyssplex the belly to belly while he's sitting in the ropes and he sends you out to the floor good stuff Um, and the finish oh Mm. the finish oh the finish after the crowd is chanting for thumbtacks the entire time like they're not going to get thumbtacks in an abyss abyss goes out he gets the thumbtacks he sets up the thumbtacks in the ring sabu goes for a springboard abyss catches him in midair into a black hole slam into the thumbtacks and the crowd go absolutely bonkers there's a million thumbtacks in sabu's back it looks awesome crowd go nuts great finish great match and also like not just that the catch spot happens, like the black hole slam looks really good too. Yeah, there's a lot of times where he catches it in the air and it just doesn't look quite right. Yeah. Whereas here he just caught it perfectly and he didn't have to like readjust to get them in the tax or anything. It was just smooth. It looked so good. And he put so much like force into it too. He was not scared about hitting him with it. Yeah, Sabu was absolutely like, just stick me in those goddamn tax. Yeah, I think we went four on it, so. Yeah, I went four. That's It's a great yeah, plunder go, match. Go check it out. Four from both of us. That's funny. I was mentioning watching that on Jake McFoley uh, video where they're talking about Hell in a Cell. And he's talking about how he took a bump into the tax and he didn't hit the tax in a way he was satisfied with. Hmm. So he was like, oh, the choke slam into the tax was inaudible because I was mad I didn't get enough tax. Sick wrestler brain. Because Mick Foley is the best. And then the main event for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. It's not, no, it's not, not the main event. event. It's, it's God damn it. <laughs> The co-main event, which of course means there is no main event. Second from last, Raven defeats Rhino in Raven's Rules to retain the NWA world title. Um, I watched this match twice. Mm-hmm. Didn't change my opinion on it. <laughs> it's a good match, but nothing special. It's still just good. It's just good. Mm. I left it going. That was a good match, but like, it's not blow away. It's not like this crazy unsung plunder match like Sabu and Abyss is. Or even like Raven and Waltman end up being. Yeah, exactly. Like, they just have a good match. Um, they use some interesting, diverse weapons, which is always stand out. They don't, like, double up with the stuff that uh, Abyss and Sabu did, really. Um, had some cool interference spots. I love... Um, I'm pretty sure it is a callback to the Backlash match with the, the gore into the shopping cart. Because mm. I'm pretty sure they do that exact spot in that match, and it looks better in that match. Because I think, if I remember, Reiner just, like, goes into the shopping cart. Yeah. <laughs> this one, he just kind of collides with it. But it's fun. You get lots of run-ins from... Jeff Hardy, Jeff Jarrett, um, Cassidy. 
everyone's everyone's out for this match. I do appreciate you mentioned weapon diversity. Like here, they use a keg, they use a pizza cutter, they use some staplers, and they use the shopping cart. As like, because every WWE hardcore match you watch is just kendo sticks and chairs. Yeah, it's the same weapons over and over again. It's like bring something new and different and try something, not just the same kendo stick shots you've seen seven million times. And remember, if you want weapon diversity, make sure you buy AW Five Forever <laughs> using code. You've got to be kidding me for ten percent off. People are gonna be so confused trying to put that one. It's a ton of letters, so it's like it'll take them ages to put in like a console keyboard. But then... remember, you're gonna put in "You've got to be kidding me," starring Garrett and Liam, the best TNA wrestling podcast going. Fuck you, Brian Alvarez. CM Punk was right. That's the full code. Put it in. Uh, no bits. Rhino misses the no gore, bits. runs into the shopping cart. As he said, Jarrett runs out. He goes to hit Raven with the belt, but Jeff Hardy runs out and grabs the belt. Raven DDTs Jarrett. DDTs Rhino. Retains the title. It's fun. Yeah, good match. Not, remar- not remarkable, but good. And might be a little bit of diminishing returns with Raven in that, like, he did a plunder match with Waltman, did a plunder match with Hardy, even at lockdown, did a King of the Mountain, which is plunder adjacent, plunder match with Abyss, plunder match with Sabu against uh, Rhino and Jarrett, and it's like, all right, there's maybe so many times you can watch Raven do the same plunder match. Yeah. Well, this one felt a little different, even if it was worse. Mm. I also wanted Rhino to win... He really turned on Raven. I really wanted Rhino to win. You know what the problem is? And I thought this during the match. I was like, Raven was the coolest guy on the roster, but Rhino's coming and now Rhino's the coolest guy on the roster. Yeah, it's a classic shiny new toy effect. You're like, Raven is the Woody to Rhino's Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, he is. It's true. You can see Raven sadly falling to the bed as you play with your your Rhino action figure. I don't want to play with you anymore. (laughs) Evermore, evermore. Oh, let's head on over to the only other uh, heavyweight match, which had no build. It's Bobby Roode and Jeff Hardy. Uh, It did have build in that they mentioned it once on TV. (laughs) And there was that one segment with Jeff Hardy on TV. Uh, Would you want to talk about the segment? I guess we should. It's the one thing that technically kind of sort of built to it. I kind of love it. Oh, I love the segment. The segment's great. Because Jeff Hardy's just a weird freak. And that needs to be his energy more on the show. So Larry Zabisco is going around in like the the dark part of the building looking for Jeff Hardy. And uh, you know what? They're, they're scared to be on that part of the building because that's where Abyss is. That is the basement. Ah, that's where he's chained to his radiator with Goldilocks. They don't want to be shouted at by Goldilocks. That's what's happening here. <laughs> Why aren't I on the show anymore? <laughs> and Franchise is there too. And he desperately doesn't want to be there because she's going to be like, you took my job. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> so they're looking for Jeff Hardy. And then he appears upside down from presumably the rafters. Um, yes. And he's like, hello, Larry Zabisco. Willow. You told me to come to work and I am here. I decided to show up to work. And Larry is great this whole time. He's like, Jeff, we're on Spike soon. You've got to be professional. (laughs) I love that because it's true. (laughs) And Larry is great. Larry is such a good authority because he's completely bamboozled and flabbergasted by everybody at all times. Like, someone commented on our post saying that Larry wasn't built for this role, and they're wrong. They're so wrong. He's so perfect to be an authority figure. I don't mean to call you out, man, but I think you're really wrong on this, because Larry's great, because every professional wrestling authority figure should not be a hard-ass. They should be flabbergasted by the weird world they live in. Mm. That's what makes them great. Everybody should be annoying to them at all times. And you, and you, and they should be annoyed by it. Because you know who does this well now? Stoke. Oh, yeah. Stokely does that perfectly in ROH, where he's, like, just kind of pissed off that people are asking him things 24-7 and mm. flabbergasted by the words that they say at him. She's like, go away. I don't want to give you anything. Yeah. 
That, that should be the entire relationship. People asking the authority figure for things and the authority figure being exhausted by it. I think authority figures for the most part should also be easily manipulated. Mm. <laughs> like, I think they should be like, they can call it out and they should only call it out on blum- like blundering heels. <laughs> like, baby phases should be able to manipulate them whenever and then heels should always get called out by them. Yeah, it's like the Daniels thing. It's like Daniels tries to do his manipulation and Larry sees through it, but any baby face who does this, like, yep, you get what you want. That is how an authority figure should be perfectly booked. Mm. And also don't be heels. Don't be like object heels. You can be like funny comedy heels, but don't be like the authority. I'm trying to hold you down. Those <laughs> <laughs> things overplayed. That was, oh my God. That was, that was what killed my interest in WWE. Because they did that for 30 <laughs> years straight. Yeah, for like 50 fucking years, man. It's like straight from like Vince in 98 all the way through to whenever the fuck the authority ended in like 2017. <laughs> Yeah. Like, legitimately nearly 20 years of the same character trope. And it's one that, like, actively hurts the show. <laughs> it just makes it no fun. Like, for as much as Teddy Long became a meme, it's like, yeah, the heels being booked in tag team matches is funny. Yeah. He will go one-on-one with The Undertaker. It's like, yeah, he's going one-on-one with The Undertaker. He got got. Like, fuck yeah, he's going one-on-one with The Undertaker. He's gonna get his ass kicked. Teddy Long, very bad booker, by the way. Never booked his TV show before the opening segment. Which is a, a big, um... A big foible for you, particularly. You love a card to be booked ahead of the time. Yeah, I'm like you, you but it, it's, it's stupid when you're like half the matches of a live television broadcast are made during the live television broadcast. Like, what did you plan to put on the air if these these, these two didn't run into each other? Nothing. <laughs> Blank, empty television. They should do that one week. It's like, well, there was no random confrontation, so we're going off the air 30 minutes early. Sorry, guys. Yeah, we always have to put this time in here just in case. I like to imagine they have reserve matches just in case. Well, that used to be the gimmick. You know, you used to hear about the standby matches on like Clash of the Champions for if, if matches yeah. ran short. But yeah, they don't do that anymore. They should. I did like the touch when Josh Alexander and Mike Bailey went... Uh, 60. Yeah. There was meant to be an Eddie Edwards match in the main event that was bumped to the next week because uh, an impromptu match unexpectedly went 60 minutes. I like small touches like that. I hope Eddie cut a promo on the next show being like, I had to fucking prepare again from scratch the next week and I'm pissed. This is impact management holding me down. Oh, yes. Just like Jeff Jarrett. There is no honor no more. (laughs) There's no honor no more. Hardy face rude. It's one of the better Jeff Hardy performances. Which means not very good, but it's fine. I hmm. I think I kind of disagree because I think it's like in that I think it's better than fine. I think it's actually pretty good. I think it's like a perfectly acceptable mid-card match. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah, I, but and like I have very low standards for Jeff. Hmm. So Jeff getting a win here, I'm all for. And it's funny to think this is a match that would main event pay-per-views in like 2012. <laughs> exactly right. Which you would never think watching it now. Bobby Roode wins. Bobby Roode wins, which is the right call. I'd imagine Jeff Hardy, I think he understands why Bobby Roode wins this match. <laughs> Yeah. I would hope. Yeah, Hardy goes up top. Yeah. Petey hooks his leg with a hockey stick. Hardy wipes out Rude and Petey with a die, but then Jarrett runs out, smashes a hockey stick over Hardy's back twice, and Rude gets the pin. Good stuff. Oh, I forgot to talk about the great pre-show segment on the pay-per-view. Oh, where, yes, where Jeff Jarrett gets pissed that Jeff Hardy steals his pre-show spot. Yeah, so they showed footage of this on the on the pay-per-view where it was Jarrell Clark against Cassidy Riley having a pre-show match. Monty comes out and pounces both of them. And yes. then literally Jeff Jarrett comes out and his promo is that, hey, you saw me in my gear and you came out and did exactly what you knew I was going to do. <laughs> I like that Monty's finally being like, shut up. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to win the belt. Shut the fuck up. And Kip James got it. Well, you're them. not, but cool. Unfortunately, he's not. And then Jeff starts annoying him. Mm. Hardy, not Jarrett. 
Yeah, Bobby Roode beats Jeff Hardy. A good win for Roode. He was on a bit of a run of singles wins. He beat Lance Hoyt, too. He did lose to Raven, but sure. But that was presented as like a main event match, which I think is a, a little bit of a boon for Roode. Still lost. And there was even like a, a, a backstage segment where James Mitchell was like, I'm upset that Bobby Roode got that match against Raven, even non-titled, instead of Abyss. So they, they kind of positioned it as like Bobby Roode getting a thing. All right, give me Abyss versus Bobby Roode at Bound for Glory. Um, what does Bobby Roode do at Bound for Glory? I think it's 3LK. Oh. <laughs> Great. Uh, that takes us over to what will technically round out the show, which is the Chris Candido everything. Memorial Tag Team Tournament, which does encompass all the other angles and all of the other wrestlers, including the reason it's going last. This mother is a bad Tree LK family drama. We should start like preempting that part of the show with like, this mother is a bad jam. <laughs> and then like, boom. This is the 3LK part of the show. Mm. No, um, no bits. All hits. I physically put my hand out to, to symbolize stopping doing a bit then. <laughs> the premise of the Chris Candido Memorial Tag Team Tournament is that because, as we mentioned earlier, that Chris Candido was known for taking young wrestlers under his wing and being very approachable to young wrestlers, uh, notably with the naturals in this company, that the, the premise of this tournament is they take a veteran and they take a young wrestler and they put them together so that they can learn and teach each other things uh, or fall apart and implode. Like everyone does. Um, can I read out the participants? Uh, you sure can. So we have Simon Diamond and Mikey Bats. That's actually like a fun, like when you consider what the diamonds in the rough is, that one kind of works. Bats would be a great lackey for the for the diamonds in the rough. Mm. Um, Shocker and Saban. I also think there's something that kind of works to that one. I like that one a lot too. <laughs> Um, then you have BG James and Cassidy Riley. Nothing there. Nothing. You have Truth and Dutt, which I'm also not into. No, those are two guys who are cool independently, but for some reason drag each other down together. Then you have the most perfect on-paper tag team for 2005 TNA, maybe ever. Sean Waltman and Alex Shelley. Absolutely perfect. When you think about the concept of this tournament, Shelley and Waltman are like the best pairing. Couldn't, couldn't do better. And they do a segment later where, like, they're studying tape together. And I'm like, God, I want this dynamic. I want Waltman being, like, like teaching Shelly all the dirtbag ways. Mm. You have Abyss and Shark Boy. Which is funny, so thumbs up. And also the great tag name of the Deep Sea Abyss. <laughs> well done. Yes. You have Kip James and Petey Williams. No. <laughs> Just no? Nope. And you have Conan and Hoyt. Which is the worst vibes of any of these teams. It's the worst vibes, but still two of the better wrestlers. Mm. But, like, when I saw this bracket, I was like, God, give me Shocker, Saban, Waltman, Shelley finals. Well, you were very happy. I was. I was indeed. So the opening round match, Shocker and Saban defeat Simon Diamond and Mikey Bats. Mikey Bats looked good in this. Yeah, because he was wrestling Saban. They had a real good, like, little exchange where they were just wrestling for, like, two minutes and just doing wrestling. Yeah, it was good. I also liked Simon Diamond. In Simon Diamond had... Uh, there was some good Diamonds in the Rough content this month. Oh, you love that Elix Skipper against Apollo match? I do kind of love that Elix Skipper Apollo match. No, it's the Sanjay match you love. Sorry, it's the Sanjay match I love. I love that match because... I'll talk about it now because why the hell not? There's no other reason to talk about it, yeah. <laughs> I love this idea that Diamonds in the Rough have found one good wrestler. Mm. One guy that they can get behind. And the shtick should be that they realize they have one guy to get behind and everyone should cheat to try and help that one guy win, knowing that the rest of them are useless. It works. There's, there's something there. 
And it was really good, specifically in that Sanjay match, where they're like, we know we only have one guy, let's use every trick in the book to try and help the one guy. <laughs> to beat Sanjay Dutt. <laughs> but he should be doing- they should- that should have been the whole shtick, like, against everyone. That they're not, like, a cool act, or he's not, like, mentoring them, it's like, they- they- those two are just hangers-on for Ely Skipper's talent. Yeah, it, it would be perfect. And, like, the others should never wrestle. Mm. It should only be them- Interfering. Trying to protect Elix. Who uh, made an appearance recently. Yeah, he was backstage at, at the center stage taping. It's the first time I think he's been at a show in a very long time. And he looks he looks very well. Let's get him on a Slammiversary. Doesn't look like he's aged that much. No. In a photo of people who didn't look like they've aged that much. Yeah. Uh, Shocker got that hot tag, ran wild. Saban blind tagged back in. And Shocker side-eyed him. That's going to lead to something, methinks. And Saban pins Bats with the Cradle Shock. Hell yeah. Um, later in this episode, we had Ron Killings and Sanjay Dutt versus BG James and Cassidy Riley in the Chris Candido Memorial Tag Team Tournament first round match. I mean, it's not the the one I'm most excited about, but at least they did have like the Ron Killings-BG sort of interaction. And I liked how it played into the, the BG-Cassidy Riley team. It makes no sense. I mean, that, okay, it makes sense, but... It is really funny that in this tournament of people, like, mentoring and helping each other, no one mentors and helps anyone. <laughs> yeah, it, the entire thing is, like, the young guys can learn from the old guys and everyone can help each other and everyone just implodes immediately. To be fair, BG did help Sanjay. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of like this match because the, the gimmick, obviously, is that BG and Ron are on opposite sides, but instead of actually fighting in any way, they just work against their own tag team partners. <laughs> You know what I would have liked? Mm. Some promo segments with the people, the old guard trying to mentor the young talent. Yeah, it's one of those things because they blew through this entire thing in one TV cycle. Like the the finals is on TV too. So like they they just rammed through this tournament. But like there is some some fun things because I think only PD and Kip get a promo, right? I I think Shelly and Waltman should have had a promo on every show. Yeah. Of them preparing for their match. And like, that that's some prime TNA comedy material right there. Of Waltman trying to mentor Shelly through the tags. You know what you, you would have done in 2023? Mm-hmm. Is that you would have had them actually watch all of their opponents' matches and you release them like on digital as like Shelly and, and Waltman tape study things. Completely in character. Yeah, where they're, where they're analyzing and breaking down and throwing out quips about their opponents. Yeah. And, and just... And like, and a really undervalued part of it too is they just aesthetically match so perfect. Mm. It is like time traveled Alex Shelley in a way. I feel like if yeah. if Waltman uh. didn't have all his Sean Waltman problems, there's probably a lot of a lot more parallels between those two men's careers. Hundred mm. percent. Don is more interested here, not in the Trio K stuff, but in how Cassidy Riley reacts to a new old dude being with him instead of Raven. <laughs> that implies that Raven's ever actually cared about him or done any mentoring. <laughs> Yeah, Cassidy, this is a one-way relationship, but it's it's working for Cassidy, Riley, so that's all that matters. Um, also, we should mention that in the Rhino match, he, like, costs Raven the match briefly. Mm. Where he, um, he distracts the ref as Raven has Rhino beaten. I don't think that ever goes any- Maybe it does. Maybe I've forgotten. Uh, I- at, be- at best, we can hope that Raven fucking DDTs him one day. <laughs> mm. And that's just the payoff. He just DDTs him once. He's never seen yeah. again. Yeah. Uh, so BG and Ron tease locking up, but then start dancing. And then their partners are like, what the hell? Before then they deck their respective opponents, but their opponents are like still, what the hell? Uh, yeah. Riley Fisherman busters Ron, but BG is mad that he attacked his opponent. <laughs> <laughs> Which I believe is where they got the, the inspiration for the Eddie Kingston uh, stopping the super kicks on John Moxley. <laughs> ah, everything comes back to TNA. Well, you know what's happening in AW right now? Oh, you're right! A, a random draw tag team tournament. 
God. TNA is so influential. It really is. Most influential company of all time. BG pump handles Riley. Sanjay wins with a 450 and BG is perfectly happy that he lost in this tournament. Yeah. Not, not a great partner. Uh, do you want to do the naturals thing here too? Oh, the, yeah, because it all ties into the tag title stuff. There's a tag title match to main event this show. It's fine. Yeah. It's a real shame that Eric Young and A1 is the team. Yeah, because PD is busy doing nothing or he's in the tournament and Rude is busy with Jeff Hardy. Could have been anyone else. Just do A1, Jeff. <laughs> Dream match. <laughs> Nightmare match. <laughs> I am a peak A1 defender. I think he's a, a perfect competent little guy. <laughs> Actually, he's quite a big guy, but he's not very interesting. Yeah, I just, I just, because Young and Rude are a great team too. Mm. Naturals hit Young with a natural disaster, but Rude pulls Stevens out, causing the DQ. Team Canada beat down Naturals. AMW eventually make the save. They take a while. Yeah, it took, a, it took them a little minute. But then the Naturals are like, we don't need your help. Go away. And also brawled with AMW because you remember they got in each other's faces after they lost the eight-man tag at the pay-per-view. As Team Canada laughed at this dysfunction, which I think has happened 17 times. Uh, throughout this entire year. It's the only thing going on in the tag division. It, yeah, I'm ready for some new teams, man. <laughs> August 26th Impact opens with Sean Waltman and Alex Shelley defeating Abyss and Sharkboy in the Chris Candido Memorial Tag Team Tournament first round match. <laughs> Who is the mentor in Abyss Sharkboy? I believe Sharkboy is the more experienced wrestler. I think they probably started around the same time. <laughs> so they should run a segment where Sharkboy was trying to mentor Abyss. They're, they're both mid to late 90s guys. That's kind of what happens in this match. Sharkboy's like, good job, buddy. You did well and gets black hole slammed. Shark, they should run a segment where Sharkboy tries to bring some sort of board game to Abyss. <laughs> And Abyss just breaks it in half. He tries to reignite the relationship like he had with New Jack. Yeah. This is why I should be booking, guys. They should have brought New Jack back for this tournament. Oh, that would have been perfect. Very important to point out, Liam. Mm -hmm. Two men in this ring. Alex Shelley and Abyss. Mm -hmm. No throwback to the Goldilocks days. Don't even acknowledge each other. Uh, He's not the baby bear anymore. It's like it never happened. They really... They're covering up one of the greatest characters in TNA history. Hmm. Our close personal friend, Goldilocks. Yeah, a follower of the, 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 the Twitter. Once commented on the YouTube, thanks for this, when we did a Goldilocks video. Hey, we'll always talk about Goldilocks. That is one thing that will never drop. I hope that in 10 years, when we're talking about fucking 2023, <laughs> I'm still talking about how Goldilocks is great. If you said 2022, it would be applicable because she's actually on one of those shows. Again, thanks to us, most influential podcast. There's a, a segment of this match where Sean Waltman moves Shark Boy around the ring. Mm-hmm. Or he like grapples him and moves him into the corner and does a chop and then grapples him and moves him to the ropes and then grapples him and moves him to the ropes and grapples him and moves to the corner. I'm like, it's like a video game glitching. <laughs> I think the like the purpose there is meant to show that like Waltman is so savvy as a vet mm-hmm. that he can just kind of move someone around in any way he wants. I guess. But I don't know, maybe I'm giving it too much credit. Yeah, Abyss runs wild, beats up Waltman and Shelly and then Sharkboy is like, hell yeah, we're a good team. Black Hole Slam, Shelly pins Sharkboy. <laughs> I like that Shelly gets the pin. Impact World Champion, Alex Shelly. <laughs> Shelly pins Sharkboy with a swinging neckbreaker that Tanae calls the Shell Shock. Mm. And also worth noting, Shelly has the singles theme, his, his more famous TNA singles theme that he has had since Sacrifice. I went back and checked. Yes. I, I, yeah, I do. I did remember that. I was doing a little bop to it. Mm. It's a good song. I like his song. Yeah. They should have hit that when he won the title. 
In uh, non-tournament action, Simon Diamond and David Young face Joel Clark and Mikey Bats. Okay. Uh, Bats and Clark come out to what would become ODB's music. I don't remember. Uh, in a small touch, uh, Rudy Charles was back as referee for this match. He wasn't refereeing the previous week because he took a gore, so they made him miss, miss a week. And he went down to count pins in this and started selling every time he did. And it's like, that's that's nice detail. That's the kind of detail that would get any other company a like shit ton of credit with wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. But it's TNA, so they'll never get credit. Yeah, young Lariat's Clark and pins him with a spine buster. Simon Diamond kind of mean to David Young in this match, too. He's got, he has to get something out of him. He has to bring it out. He has to beat it like the, you beating me with your whip or with your belt. He has to beat it into him. <laughs> Which I don't do because I'm a professional. Tie, I do it with my words. Ties me to the abyss radiator. <laughs> Don't tell them that. Lance Hoyt and Conan face Kip James and PD Williams before the match. Kip and PD have a backstage promo that is blocked in a way that makes the size difference between them look absurd. You know, we haven't talked about this before. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is the TNA cameraman doing? Making PD Williams look very short on this but show. Like, and just like swaying around like a fucking weird pervert. Yeah, it's like Cloverfield. Why do they do that all the time? Abyss is actually walking backstage, so they're just selling it. I'm fucking, I'm sick of it. I hate it. I hate shaky cam promos. You want steady cams? Yes! Uh, Kip insists that uh, a veteran doesn't mean old, just means experienced. Sounds like someone who's very secure. Uh, but their tag experience in the Canadian Destroyer guarantees victory. Monty walks up as like, whenever you're done with this fucking shit, we still need to beat up Tree, okay? Yeah. And then Jared comes in and is like, guys, you're going to get fired. And Petey's like, we're with you. And Kip is like, I'm with you. And Monty's like, you never gave me my title shot. Fuck off. I like TNA. I don't know. I'm going to regret saying this right now. But TNA is a company that respects its law. <laughs> Except with Alex Shelley and Abyss earlier on this show. Sure, but like in actual like important story elements. Mm. Stuff happens and it doesn't just magically not happen. Yeah, which I, I guess most companies do that except for one. Except for when it is convenient for them not to happen, then most companies still just ignore it. Yeah. Uh, Kip is being billed from Marietta, Georgia as a little nod to his pal PG. <laughs> Storytelling, lore. I don't give a shit. <laughs> Kip goes for the Fame Master, but Conan grabs his leg, allowing Hoyt to hit a big boot for the win. Hoyt pinning Kip James, clean-ish. Ooh, big win. Uh, franchise has AMW. As we mentioned when we were talking about the X Division, Larry Zabisco has made a four-way tag team title match for the pay-per-view. It's elimination. It's AMW, The Naturals, Team Canada, and the winner of the Chris Candido Memorial uh, Tag Team Tournament. And they do a promo. Seems kind of bullshit that one team has to win a whole tournament. The other ones just get it. Like, you win a tournament and you get a spot in a four-way elimination match. Yeah. It's not great. Semi-final match on September 2nd. Alex Shelley and Sean Waltman defeat Conan and Lance Hoyt. Um, again, it's just Shelley and Waltman being really cool. And they, honestly, Conan's kind of been delivering for me lately, so I'm cool for it. Because Conan is only wrestling three-minute tag team matches. Yeah. Which are thoroughly in his wheelhouse. Yeah. Hits his big spots, throws his shoes. Boom, bam, boom, we're out of here. There was a moment where he, uh, like, bumped for a Waltman kick way, way, way too early. And Mike Tanay, bless him, trying to cover on commentary, was like, Whoa, see Conan go down to avoid that kick? That's a professional right there. Also, every time JB, he did this uh, in the semi-semi-final match as well later in the show. Every time he had to say Chris Candido Memorial Tag Team Tournament, which I have insisted on pronouncing in full every time to show up Jeremy, Jeremy Borash. I can't pronounce Jeremy Borash, but I can pronounce Chris Candido Memorial Tag Team Tournament. Imagine if you fucked it up then. Every single time he said it, he forgot one of the words. He's like, this is a semi-final match in the Chris Candido Memorial Tag Team Tournament. In the Chris Candido Memorial... <laughs> In the Chris Memorial 
Chris Candida Memorial Tag Team Tournament. Every single time he stuttered on one of the words, the poor soul could not get it out. And most of the time, we wouldn't hear him fail to get it out, but now we can. Maybe he's just been fucking up from day one. I was thinking the same thing. He's he's escaped all of our criticism this whole time. I'm going to be listening for it extra carefully now. We could hear him during the Asylum years. It's only during the Impact run that we couldn't hear him. True. Which is also a weird thing that, like, they... And he would fuck it up there! Because he would say reigning defending champion when they weren't defending. It's the reason we haven't gotten mad about it in over a year. Oh, you just reminded me. Waltman wins, hits a low blow on X Factor after Kip James cuts Lance Hoyt off. There you yep. go. Because he was mad that he lost the last one. Yep. So through to the finals are Shelley and Waltman. The best team in the tournament. And then the other semi-final match, Chris Saban and Shocker defeat Ron Killings and Sanjay Dutt. It's all right. This is the only match where I don't think anybody turns on anybody, so... <laughs> there you go. One... Which is funny, because in the last match, Ron Killings turned on Sanjay Dutt. But now he's not facing his partner, so he doesn't care. I, I tell a lie. There's miscommunication between Saban and Shocker. Yeah, because they're, they're turning... They, they're building up for the turn. Yeah, as he was getting Killings off for the Cradle Shock, he accidentally hit Shocker with Killings' legs. But then scores the win with the uh, La Magistral. Shocker has a point. Saban has been kind of a dick in this tournament. <laughs> But he's been winning. He shouldn't be mad. He should be a veteran who's like, however we get it done, we get it done. It's not about me, it's about winning. No, a veteran would be like, it's about me, so you're wrong. Yeah, Shocker was a little mad, but then made up and they celebrated. Monty versus Sonny Siaki. Things happen. They have a little match, then some bullshit happens, and then murder. Then straight up murder occurs. Yeah, Don says there's a chip on Monty's shoulder. A chip named Kip. Uh There's a kip on his shoulder. <laughs> kip jumps Apollo on the floor. Siaki dives in him. Monty pounces Siaki. Referee throws the match out because of the interference. Monty drapes Siaki's throat over a chair and then drives it into the ground, impaling his neck on it. Killing him, as you said. And then Kip also hits Apollo with a chair for good measure before Lance Hoyt makes the save. And Siaki goes to Hollywood. <laughs> and shaves his head, yeah. Yeah, that's a setup. That's a setup. We call that in the biz. And then main event, Storm and Stevens. I actually thought this was kind of cool. <laughs> It was a nice little TV match. Yeah, it was a cool little TV match. There was a moment where Storm rolled through on a sunset flip and kicked Chase Stevens right in the fucking head. Tim Storm, dangerous worker. All cowboys. <laughs> they take people's heads off. They, they work snug. That's what the cowboy it's, does. It, actually, it's true. Hanson, Hangman, Storm. It's, it's the cowboy way. Makes sense, actually. Harris and Douglas were shouting at each other at ringside. Then Storm and Stevens hit stereo super kicks. Harris distracted the referee briefly so he could roll Storm on Stevens to pick up the win in a, a slightly heelish way, some might say. That's kind of it's kind of weird for this ultra babyface tag team. Yeah. Why would they do that? They're they're nice guys. Yeah. Hmm. In the finals of the Chris Candido Memorial Tag Team Tournament, Sean Waltman and Alex Shelley defeated Shocker and Chris Saban. I thought this kind of banged. I thought it was a lovely little TV match. Yeah, they just had a really good, like, tag team TV match between four people I really like. Shelley grabs a wrist lock and screams at the top of his lungs, This is wrestling, people! Yeah, that, um... Ah, sorry, Garrett, let me just fix my heart here. Uh, <laughs> for those who can't see our show notes, which you can get for yourself at tnachat.com or patreon.com slash kidding me, Liam stopped the podcast to go in because I wrote this is wrestling people as a single sentence. Liam stopped our entire show flat, no bits by the way, to stop and add a comma after the word wrestling. Garrett, I would argue that making sure grammar is correct is not a bit, and in fact, one of the most professional things one can do. Is it? Yes. Um, very ROH, Shelley, that line. Mm. A-, a very important note. As Saban and Shocker do their entrance, they do a little flip routine to show they're on the same page. Because they are. I would have loved them to do this in all their matches, just to, to set up the payoff even better, but they do do it in this match. 
They should have done it in all the other matches and then fucked up the flip routine on this one. Mm. <laughs> there was a dive sequence punctuated by Waltman doing a, a big senton to the floor and then screaming, yeah, as he did a bunch of cross chops. They're perfect together. Uh, Saban accidentally drop kicks Shocker as Waltman follows with a low blow and an X-Factor to win the tournament. Crowd grants Chris, Chris Candido. Ah, Jeremy Borash. Oh, I can't pronounce things. You get crowd chance Chris Candido and you fuck it up. I could say Chris Candido Memorial Tag Team Tournament every time. I never said anything about Chris Candido's name by itself. <laughs> uh, Saban tries to shake Shocker's hand. They do their flip. Everything is fine. But Shocker jumps Saban from behind. Bars. My man's spitting over here. <laughs> and then Tanae is very mad because you're supposed to be a teacher? Yeah. I guess that was a real shocker <laughs> for him. <laughs> no bits all hits. We're never going to hear sh- 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 Shocker ever again. No, he'll be back next year a little bit. You're fine. Oh, fuck yeah. Hell yeah. He's in the, the, the World X Cup. Everything's okay. Oh, yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. Do they run back the Shelly match? I don't think so. I almost punched my screen. Waltman and Shelly are your Chris Candido Memorial Tag Team Tournament winners. Inaugural. And only. Chris Candido Memorial Tag Team Tournament. I was thinking that while this was happening that they should have done this every year. They should have. It's a fun It's a fun idea. You can do some fun stuff. And every this. company should have a flagship tournament. And this is TNA's? Yes. It should. It could have been. Never mind the Super X Cup. Never mind the World X Cup. The Chris Candido Memorial <laughs> Tag Team Tournament is the, the signature tournament. That ain't shit to me. Franchise has Monty. He and Kip will face Apollo and Lance Hoyt at the pay-per-view. Monty's like, I don't buy your hype, Hoyt. I'm not a hoyt maniac. Fair enough. You are simply a big galloping buffoon of a giraffe waiting to be pounced, is what Monty Brown said. <laughs> is this the one where, like, Franchise gets really excited for the pounce? Oh, Franchise's faces are the best. But my favorite one is uh, he's looking out. Yeah, you're gonna say the line. You're gonna say the line, and then Monty just looks at him dead in the eyes and goes, "Pounce." He doesn't do it with, with any sort of like pizzazz. And and Douglas is like, "Whoa!" Period. Intensity. Uh, Harris, Eric Young, and Andy Douglas have a three-way on this show. I do not remember this match taking place. This is where Tanae announces that Saban and Shocker has been added to the baby, and that does not happen. Uh, all of the seconds erupt at ringside as Rudy ejects them all. Waltman and Shelley were watching the match in the back on the monitor. I do remember that's part of it. <laughs> And then Harris pins Young with a catatonic. There's also an Elix Skipper against Sanjay Dutt match on this show. We already talked about it. But I did mention that I had a theory at one stage that there is just a single large playlist that they click the songs in, in like Windows Media Player. Yeah. And here they accidentally played Sonny Siaki's music for Sanjay Dutt. Yes, of course. Um, Abyss's theme is also called P.D. Williams' theme. <laughs> Isn't it Into the Catacombs or Down in the Catacombs? Is that the name of the song? Anyway. Yeah, who knows? A is very close. Actually, no, it's it's close. To- well, no, that doesn't seem... I was going to say it's not PD, it's Team Canada, but it's nowhere near A either. <laughs> um, of course, I think you've proven that AEW has the same formula. Mm. With their Forbidden Door <laughs> foibles. Where's my TMDK music, you cunts? Or whatever he said. <laughs> yeah, he called the production team a bunch of dickheads. Mm. And they fucked it up with ELP too. Which is good, actually, because the LP's other music is way better. <laughs> uh, Skipper wins, wins with the sudden death. Brings us to the pay-per-view, in which all these stories coincide with a bunch of matches. The first of which is Tree Live Crew versus the Diamonds in the Rough. It opens the show. Good little match. They stick to what Trio K do well, which is five-minute matches, which are high energy and nothing more. Good work. Because, like, they're a catchphrase team, and that, like, extends to their work as well. Like, their work is a catchphrase team. <laughs> yes. As Conan pins David Young with the X-Factor. Which I assume is some kind That's of veil shot at Sean Waltman for no show. <laughs> and not just his move. Monty Brown and Kip James defeated Lance Hoyt and Apollo. Yeah. <laughs> Remember <laughs> earlier when I said 
You are <laughs> no, no, a man no, no, of deep up, analytics. Up, 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 up. And when we get yeah. to the three LK family drama stuff, you will have things to say. Well, here's your opportunity. We are currently in this recording, three hours forty nine minutes. You'll the, the like pause in the middle and some pauses will be taken out. But we are nearly four hours deep here talking mm. to each other. This is your moment to step up and have deep analysis. Garrett. A man had a WWE own my name sign that was confiscated by staff. Siaki's out in a neck brace. Kip accidentally boots Monty in the face, but Monty still pins Apollo to win with the pounce. Kip and Monty argue after the match. That is very succinctly put. Thank you. It's, you know, sometimes my, it just takes me a minute to get my thoughts into place. I used to take, like, side notes for my own on, like, a separate sheet, and I'm like, fuck it, I'm just going to put it in the show notes from now on because I'm lazy. Yeah. All right, then what do you have to say about this match? Uh, a man had a WWE owns my name sign. <laughs> I looked very closely to see that what that sign said, by the way. I was like, because it was, it was kind of blurry because it's in the crowd and this file is like 780p or 720p. And I was like, what does that sign say? I think it's W own my name as a shot of Kip. And you can see a member of security walk up and politely be like, give me your sign. Yeah. I mean, they could have probably let him have that one. Uh, I'm glad that this, I believe, is the end of the Monty Brown Kip James team, which has somehow taken up three pay-per-views. It's almost the end of Monty Brown. Hey, we have uh, the bones of a year left with Monty. All right, because we've started to hear talk about interest in Monty, so... He's around till next August, so we have pretty much an entire year left of Monty before we have to mourn him. All right. Uh, Tracy has taken the role of backstage interviewer from Shane Douglas. Oh, yeah, she's talking to Team Canada, but also now Matt But perhaps, time, so. but perhaps, right? Mm -hmm. In continuation of the Chris Candido theme, Tracy, as the mentee to Shane Douglas... Is taking his role. She's teaching him the ropes? Yeah. <laughs> I think I was implying that she was taught the ropes, but yeah, sure, she's teaching the ropes. She's teaching Shane Douglas how this works? Yeah. Stop doing the ooh franchise thing. It's annoying. <laughs> ooh franchise. <laughs> Good work on the pounce thing, though. That, was, that thing was cool. I just want to say that Rude does call Hardy a half-baked nut job. I'd argue he's a full-baked one. <laughs> and then the tag titles are on the line. The Naturals defeat AMW, A1, and Eric Young, and Alex Shelley does not have his partner, Sean Waltman, because he did not show up to the pay-per-view. Yes, instead he gets a lovely tag team partner who I would never accidentally say anything bad. Mm. Uh, so Franchise had Alex Shelley here in the show. He said Sean Waltman's not here. Uh, he's like, he'll come through in the end. He'll be there. But the total non-stop Alex spoil tour is going to the ring with or without Waltman. Mm -hmm. Let's get into Sean Waltman watch. It's the usual stuff in that they couldn't get in touch with him in the days before. They got in touch with him, I think, around 4 p.m. the day of the show. And he's like, guys, 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 I'll be there. It's fine. And then he wasn't there. And there's there's conflicting reports about whether he did or didn't show up at the hotel after the show. Dave says he hadn't been seen in like the two days after the show, which caused people to worry about him. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, he did not make it to Unbreakable. It is the end of Sean Waltman in this company until 2010. Until the band's back. And it's it's a shame. Actually, no, he does one he, match in 2006. But nonetheless, he's more or less done. This is the last straw until next year. But like, it is like a real shame that like he was doing actually good stuff. Yeah, good character work, good wrestling. And there there is room to run with this stuff with Alex Shelley that sadly gets cut off immediately. I, I think that's a thing they probably would have dived deeper into then. Oh, it's well, like they. I feel like they. They were setting it up to be something. Yeah, and, and like that's cut off. And like he had good matches against Styles. He had good matches against Raven. He had good matches against Jerry Lynn. He he looked like he was, you know, it's the thing we said a few times about Sean Waltman that he is a guy who has all the talents in the world but constantly self-sabotaged. And he did it again. Yeah. And like he was just on the verge of negotiating a deal. That's the whole thing that they were like ironing out the contracts. He had some issues with the fact that 
the wrestlers as well as their heirs would waive all rights to sue over injuries and death in the contract which fair enough but also i think that's probably in every wrestling contract because well wrestling companies don't want to get sued yeah they, they tend to avoid that if possible yeah but it's it's just a shame it's a shame to have like a good run where he was like a real welcome presence on the show having really good pay-per-view singles matches and setting up a really interesting team with alex shelley that they could have done some a bunch of fun stuff with and like if you think about how if waltman was around during paparazzi productions that would have been so much fun that would have been so sick and it's all cut off here because he knows shows unbreakable. And as I said, part of the reason it, it like extra strong is that they did want to like roll him out in front of the Spike executives because he's one of the better known names on the roster. And then he didn't show up for that either. So and they're like, oh, don't worry, we have someone uh, a really professional who's a big star, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> uh, Jeff, where are you? He Jeff? drops from the ceiling upside down, <laughs> and Larry's like, "We told you, <laughs> these are the Spike execs." But the match is fine. As you mentioned, you buried Johnny Candido, who was standing at ringside. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to. Because they were showing, because uh, a friend of Candido's, his father and his brother Johnny were all there. And you're like, look at this fucking idiot. And it's like, oh, that's his brother Johnny Candido. <laughs> no, I said, who's this fucking? <laughs> I didn't. And then immediately after the words left my mouth, I realized who it was. And a nice touch, the Naturals did offer a rally towel to Candido's father, which I thought, oh, that's sweet. That is sweet. Uh, so Shelly started the match by himself, but Johnny Candido, Chris Candido's brother, jumped the rail, he ran wild, young low blowed him, rolled him up, Shelly was eliminated. <laughs> Shelly pissed. Because <laughs> they did walk up the ramp together. If I were Shelly, I would have done like a full Eric Watson being pushed off the ramp. Shelly should have been carried out by security while he insists that <laughs> that wasn't his partner. Yeah, it's, I, I'm still in the match, that doesn't count, that's bullshit. Um, Chris Saban should have run out. <laughs> just like Bobby Roode beat Jeff Hardy, Eric Young blasted AMW, Chris Harris in particular, with a hockey stick to cradle them and eliminate them too. Hockey stick budget through the roof on the show. Wow, AMW and Team Canada hate each other. They would never team up in any manner. No, mortal enemy. Mortal enemy. Uh, team Canada set up for a doomsday device, but Jimmy Hart pushes Eric Young off the ropes to the crotch. Um, natural hit the natural disaster in A1. They retain the world tag team titles. Yep. And that's it. That's unbreakable. The floor for these pay-per-views, like the the, the average like rating of the, the the lower card matches is much higher than it used to be, which makes these pay-per-views much more enjoyable. And also they've been peaking at some pretty like good pretty great matches at this point. Yeah, but like the early pay-per-views in the year also had the peaks, but also had some real valleys. Yeah. This was, this was probably like the best start to finish pay-per-view of the year. Yeah, it's like where the, the mid-card stuff is all, at worst, pretty good. And then you get Styles Daniels, Joe. You get a good Raven-Rhino match. And you get a real good Abyss-Sabu match. Well, Sacrifice was really good, too. Mm. Except, like, for the <laughs> 3 or K stuff. <laughs> but, like... So, yeah, because, like, Sacrifice was pretty good. It had Joe, AJ, as far as the high stuff. And you liked Daniels and... No, no, sorry. You liked Jerry Lynn and Waltman, really, like, at that level as well. No Surrender... Again, had lower stuff, which was the Siaki Apollo tag, and but uh, and then everything like a lot of stuff around the two mark, but then also had Joe Saban. So everything's like having one really great match on it. Slammiversary had some real lows on it, had a few like one stars. Hard Justice again had the peak with Raven Waltman, had a couple <laughs> poor Monty's always in these tags that are like one and a half stars. And it is, it's never Monty's fault. He's always just no. stuck in there at BG or Kip or some shite. Lockdown had a lot of lows, but had two really great matches on it. Mm. So that seems to be like the theme i gave <laughs> raven versus dustin Rhodes 1.453 a very precise rating destination x is the worst show of the year that's far enough. i don't do bits anymore oh very good 1.5 uh, yeah well destination x had two matches that we gave zero stars to 
far and away the worst show we've covered so far. Maybe not the so far. Some of those asylum shows are terrible. I don't know. Two zero star sh- uh, matches and then five one star matches between us. And then the <laughs> peak was two three and a half star matches. Bless Jeff Hardy's willingness to fall off things. Against all odds was pretty good consistently and one with very good. So against all odds is pretty good. This is probably better than against all odds, wouldn't you say? I think so. I think Final Resolution is the one that gives it a run for its money because it has that one yeah, two punch of the Open X and the tag title match. But it did have Scott Hall, Jeff Hardy. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> it is funny, I guess. So yeah, it's either a final resolution of this so far. Mm. But this had less matches. And also the average quality of the match. This has no bad matches. Yeah. Which is remarkable. Especially because it has a Jeff Hardy match and a Tree Life Crew match and neither of them were bad. Actually, no. Monty and Kip James against Science Hoyt and Paul is not great. But the rest of the show is still bad matches. Yeah. It's not great, but like also it was. I remember it being quick. And that's what you can last for with a bad match. So we will be back. In a couple weeks, with Bound for Glory 2005, October 2005, Spike TV debut. Probably the biggest episode so far, so tune in. Yes, we're gonna get spiked. Well done. Is that their slogan? They ever, they ever say that? Uh, it's get more action was their slogan. They also had one that sounded vaguely racist that I don't remember. Let me find Spike TV racism. <laughs> it's just a bunch of TNA stuff comes up. Uh, I can't find the, the slogan. Ah, well, we'll be back. Our next Patreon show kicks off. We're covering the first two episodes of Lucha Underground. There's first network for men. That's also vaguely like, uh, uh. <laughs> get more action. That's fine. There's some wordplay there. We'll find it. So yeah, you can listen to our first, still unnamed, by the way, Lucha Underground show. So if anyone has a name, we will put out a call on Twitter before we actually start the show. But again, Lucha Down Underground is the front runner. And oh. It causes him physical pain. All hits, no bits. Come on. Uh, also, the watch along for Unbreakable is at tnhad.com, patreon.com slash kidding me right now. Follow us on Twitter at tnhistorypod. Follow me on Twitter at Gary Kidney. Liam on Twitter at the Gleet Muda. Subscribe to us on YouTube at You've Got to Be Kidding Me. And subscribe to us on TikTok at TNA History. Thanks for listening and bye bye. Go, 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 go. We're in the gore era now. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Music. It's not just part of our daily lives. It's part of our wrestling fandom as well. And it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in. Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.